Welcome to North of the Shire, your podcast on all things Lord of the Rings. But I'm pretty sure it's mostly about the Middle Earth strategy battle game by Games Workshop. I'm your host, Don, and this is episode 31. Today, I'm here with my regular co-host and a man who has more hair on his toes than Bilbo Baggins. It's Andrew Brock. Hello, hello. How did you know that I had hair on my feet? <laughs> hey, I've seen your toes. You're you're a sandal wearing kind of guy in, oh, the, in the summer. That's true. I'm a you Birkenstock know. guy from spring all the way to yeah. fall. You are. That's right. That's Definitely. Right. How you been doing? I've been doing all right. Um, busy as busy can be. You know what I mean. And in I know we've hardly even talked to each other for for the last couple of weeks. I know you guys are like, oh yeah, we're signed up for this event, and I'm like, cool. Have fun. Yeah. It's like that person like <laughs> waiting at the dock as everyone leaves to go on an adventure, and they're just like, hmm. yeah. <laughs> we're all starting to get back out into the world and doing stuff, and you know. You're still in your apartment. Yeah, you can blame working. my boss for that, or my <laughs> former boss. What were you gonna say? What What have you get? You're getting ready for some? Oh, I'm getting ready for a little one to come along. You know, we're in the final countdown. What? That's right. That's right. I don't think our listeners know about this. Oh, maybe not. Yeah, I'm. I'm, no. I'm my wife and I are expecting, and uh, she is. Uh, She's counting down the weeks, uh, as am I, and uh, yeah, it's uh, sub two months, my friend, sub two months. Sub two months, oh That's my right. God, what's going to happen? And uh, I've known for a long time, but on behalf of all of our listeners, who I'm sure right now would like to say congratulations, Thank Andrew. you, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, oh my God, what's this going to do to your schedule and our podcast schedule? It's like you're already almost impossible to get a hold of as it is. You know what? Um, as long as the baby sleeps properly, which, of course, all newborns sleep properly and at all times, um, of course I can record because I won't be working. <laughs> uh, yeah. My plan is actually to um, take off some time, um, four weeks at a minimum, but hopefully six weeks, with all the obscene amount of vacation I've saved up, um, just to sort of be there for the first six weeks. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, oh, that'll be handy. And, of course, with time off, you know, what you can do is you can get some hobby done while while the little one is sleeping and your wife is sleeping. And all the food is go. made and all the cleaning is done. So, yes, in those <laughs> optimal moments when everyone is asleep, there will be definitely stuff done. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Oh, that's exciting news. Exciting news. Yeah. It's been a long time since I was in that position. Oh, yeah. Um, over 30 years. So uh, I remember what it was like. Exciting, exciting times. Exciting, exciting and I'm told times. exhausted. So we'll... Yeah. I'll put the name to the test. <laughs> On to the hobby. Anything happening? Well... Anything. anything. Have you assembled a model? Have you touched your paintbrushes? Have you... I don't know. Done I anything? Read a book? gazed longingly at my models... That are sitting on the shelf, waiting to be that continuing to That doesn't count. Gazing longingly, that um, doesn't count. I have been listening to the Lord of the Rings um, audio book, The Fellowship of the Ring. Um, oh, cool. I've been sort of pondering my way through that during the more menial tasks that I have to do for work at 1 a.m. in the morning. So that's always nice to, to get a good listen there. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm, I think we're, I think as I said, we are, but I think I am, um, the Fellowship, I think, is left. Uh, no, they just arrived at Rivendell. 
My gosh, it's like a third of the book, if not more, like to get you to Rivendell. And that was like yeah, when you're watching the movie, happens. it's like whoosh, you're already yeah. there. It's like, boom, <laughs> let's go through all this stuff quickly because it's kind of boring. I never found it boring. <laughs> I always found it enjoyable. I, well, like the whole lead up and the party and and all of that, it, it like it is it is a part of the book that is kind of it's nece- it's a necessity. Uh, but it also, you know, if you're in it for the story, the action, you know, the quest, it's it's a little slower. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I always enjoyed the way Tolkien writes is that he is a sparse writer in the sense that he doesn't give wildly detailed descriptions, but he mm-hmm. always gives a very detailed account of what's going on and sort of like the side little snippets yeah. of all the of all the things that are happening. So you get a very good idea of like how these adventurers like like Aragorn and, and the hobbits are sort yeah. of progressing through the, the hinterlands towards Rivendell, but you're never like being painted to this massively detailed picture at any point at any one time. No. Yeah, and actually, like I, I sort of say it's you know a, a little slow and boring, but honestly, I've I've mentioned this before in one of our early episodes, but probably three of my favorite chapters are in that part of the book, and mm-hmm. it's three's comp three is company, a shortcut to mushrooms, and a conspiracy unmasked. That part of the book, I absolutely love it. I like I I can't tell you how many times I've listened to those chapters. Um, mm-hmm like in my car ride and whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. One thing that I've been listening to oh. in, uh, and watching is, so I'm watching the Hobbit series of movies because I'm trying to do the bingo thing, right? Oh, okay. okay, okay. Um, so, like, I'm watching the Hobbit series of movies, mm-hmm. which I have on my PVR. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I have a subscription to Audible, so yep. I'm listening to the Andy Serkis version of the hobbit oh my god i don't know if you've heard it but he is like so good Mm -hmm. like i i was shocked how good it is that guy is like seriously talented like his vocal skills are like incredible Hmm. um so like anyway what i've been doing is like listening to a chunk of the book and then also watching that part of the movie um, sort of side by side, like mm-hmm. not one right after the other, but you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and it's been really fun to do that because you get to sort of see the differences between the two and also listening to um, Andy Circus's version for the first time and blown away by it, absolutely blown away by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, what I was always used to, what I, you always like look at the back, um, those sort of back details when you're watching, the, reading through the Lord of mm-hmm. the Rings um, um, historiography, if you would. I don't think that's a word, but whatever. Um, and you're hearing, good. You're, you're hearing about the individual um, actors and then recounting things. And I was always mm-hmm. curious to see like like the like the salaries of the individual actors. And I I found it very fascinating that that Andy Serkis and um, the character, the uh, the actor that plays Samwise Gamgee, actually got paid the highest of like all the hobbits and whatnot. Now, of course, Gandalf, um, Ian McKellen, and some of the other actors got paid more. But like just those two individuals who I'd never heard of before, the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. commanded serious salaries. Um, well, Sean, is it Sean Astin or yeah, Austin? Sean Astin. Astin? Astin. Astin. Like, he, you know, he, he, all of them had acted quite a bit before mm-hmm. um but i think out of out of the hobbits anyway he he had by far more acting experience because he's a little older i believe mm-hmm. than, than the others um like my wife and i watch a lot of british tv and um 
you know, we, we were watching a series, an old series, with uh, and Dominic Monaghan is in it. So mm-hmm. it's like I, I kind of chuckle watching that because he's, he's so young in it. Um, he, he was, you know, like late teens, early 20s kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so it's fun to watch that. Um, yeah, but they they all had some acting before that, but mm-hmm. um, definitely Sean Astin, I think, had the most. Mm. Yeah, I guess the, real, the whole point of me bringing it up is just, it, it, it sort of speaks to your um, your comment about Andy being such a talented individual. I mean, like mm-hmm. you don't pay out that kind of money if you're getting like a subpar person. And I mean, the, the fact that he took on, was it in The Hobbit or did he later on he take on, he, he was actually directing large chunks of like sections of the movie. Yeah, he, he was like, the, 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 the um, second what unit. Did they, second unit director, yeah. Mm-hmm, and okay. I forget if that was Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and since since those movies... He's just, his career has gone crazy. Like, he's oh, yeah. been involved in so many different things. But, mm-hmm. yeah, speaking of acting and first jobs or, or their salaries or whatever, um, what's his name? Orlando Bloom, Legolas. First yeah. acting job ever. Really? Yeah, right out of right out of acting school, apparently. Wow. Um, so, wow, that's quite, quite the achievement. But... It explains why he stares at the camera so many times. <laughs> I haven't noticed that. Oh, yeah. He stares constantly yeah. at the camera when you're watching, like looking for the little nitty-gritty details. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, uh, what's the other Hobbit's name? It's uh, Billy Boyd. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Boyd, who plays uh, Pippin. He had never read Lord of the Rings before mm-hmm. and i think i was listening to one of the episodes of the friendship onion which is their podcast dominic yeah. monahan and billy boyd uh and he he had said in in there that you know i forget if it was like just after he got the job or he was going to the you know audition or something like that he he was on the train and he he read the book or maybe he was traveling to new zealand or something <laughs> and he read the book for the first time <laughs> something like that it's like oh my god yeah, I mean, I know um, Elijah Wood, who plays Frodo, um, he hadn't read the book either, but he made the mistake of trying to read it concurrently while filming, and his schedule was so uh. busy, he's just like, yeah, I just gave up. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, plus, I know they like they don't necessarily film everything in order either. Yeah, that's so thing. That could be that could be challenging anyway well speaking of um films and whatnot did you see the most recent trailer drop for the amazon series rings of power oh yeah uh, oh that doesn't sound i saw good. it oh no it's good it looked fantastic um honestly i i've been meaning to there's so much video content out there now about it like i know um top table steve cool mm-hmm. steve mm-hmm. um he he did a video on um what would you call it? Like a review uh, reaction video. Cov- yeah, reaction video. And I've like I've been meaning to watch that for the last two or three nights, and it's just been so busy. I haven't had time, so like I want to do that. And I was laughing because it like debuted on Super Bowl night. Was so like I'm not mm-hmm. a football. Well, I'm not a North American football guy, um, so I I didn't watch it. Um, but of course, it's it's everywhere like immediately, mm-hmm. um, and. That night, 
there was like a live stream. So I've talked about Nerd of the Rings, mm -hmm. right, before. And Nerd of the Rings had a live stream with a whole bunch of guest speakers on who were, I, I guess they were notables, mm -hmm. um, possibly involved in the production or something. Oh, wow. um, like the same night that the video is, is leaked or premiered or whatever, um, he has a live stream on covering, <laughs> covering it. And, and like they go through it like, you know, second by second or image by image kind oh, of thing wow. yeah but it looks looks wild like it looks really good yeah i i think i'm gonna withhold any sort of sharp criticism or whatnot i mean i'm excited to see it um yeah i think all that hullabaloo about um all the various conversations that people have and the nerd raging they're doing over the stupidest stuff online is just hogwash and stupid um, that's my opinion on that, and I'm not going to dive into more details. Um, but in terms of the actual, like, watching it, uh, I almost feel like the cinematography is a little sort of, like, blockbustery, which is not what um, The Lord of the Rings, as envisioned by Peter Jackson, was sort of pushing towards in his vision. Again, different directors, different visions. Um, but you know what? It is the second age and crazy stuff happens in the second age relevant related to the third age. So, hey, never know. Yeah, I don't really know what you mean by blockbustery. Like, are you talking about like the sweeping views of things like that kind of scene? Or? Well, it, was, it was very almost like um, like the color gradients. Like when you're watching The Lord of the Rings and a couple of people have noted this online. When you're watching The Lord of the Rings, it's very sort of like like it's almost if someone pulls a camera out and is just like recording you move around right so it's very realistic very gritty but when you're watching the the, the trailer it was very color graded so that it was like high levels of color it was almost yeah. very high fantasy feel to it which so maybe it maybe like touched up a little bit maybe yeah possibly. touched up a bit like high levels of cgi and as you're watching mm -hmm. it you're just like this feels more high fantasy than low fantasy which is what i think tokian was pushing for but you know then again the second age felt a lot probably more high fantasy just because of how like some of the ridiculous stuff that happened well, I'm not sure. I, I didn't. I didn't have the same reaction when when I watched it, but mm -hmm. I get what you're talking about now that you're describing it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see more. That's mm -hmm. for sure. I, yeah. I'm looking forward to another trailer. Um, and I have no issue. Yeah, like all the all the dumb conversations that happened yes. about it, like just make me shake my head. But agreed. Um, I yeah, like it looks great to me. Yeah, you know, and I, I'm I'm happy so yeah. far. So. Mm -hmm. So no, let's see more. <laughs> exactly. Let's see more. And let me see an episode. Let's bring on an episode early. I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, before we just keep talking about stuff at random, I actually have some stuff written down to talk about. So far, we haven't touched on anything. This has all just been, you know, We're random. Shooting from the hip. Shooting <laughs> yeah, shooting from the hip. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I haven't painted anything either uh, well not completed anything I, I mentioned last time that I was assembling models mm -hmm. so I did assemble two more models I, you know, the new orcs we talked about everybody ordered the two new yeah. orcs uh, from, the, from the new book that's coming out mm -hmm. Razgush and Musger. Yeah, Musger. So I assembled those two guys and mm -hmm. added them to my pile of assembled models which is growing rapidly yeah. and I actually almost finished painting my first model of the year because I had a I had a game 
I had a game. What? And like I mentioned before, one of the things I didn't finish in my challenge army was I, I forgot I had two banners in my mm-hmm. uh, army of Dunland Legendary Legion. So yep. I had uh, Chris came over and Garrett on last Saturday mm-hmm. to play some games. And I've frantically tried to get that guy painted. So mm-hmm. he's like, he's 90% done now. So he'll be my first model painted for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but not quite there yet. But yeah, I played a game. I actually played what? a game. First one and I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris and I, we, we decided to set a date. Um, and it was one a Saturday my wife was working. Mm-hmm. And we... You know, we talked about our challenge army and how we're going to have a round robin. We thought, well, you know, Drew's a real stick in the mud, hasn't finished his army. Same oh with Garrett. God. But, you know, we can have a game. So Chris <laughs> and I scheduled the game mm-hmm. and I invited Garrett to come. And I said, why don't you come? I said, even if you want to play your Lurts of Scouts, even though I know you're not done painting it or not even started painting it, you, mean you, you can. I, I can give off. you an army. I'll give you alerts to scouts army that there you can use. And he's like, do you have enough scouts? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so he came over. I played a game with Chris and then Chris played a game with Garrett. So we, we had, we had MESBG happening at my house this what? last weekend. Crazy stuff with all the stories and crazy dice rolls and, um, you know, just awesome combats. It was, it was awesome. It was fantastic. Well, that's how it should be, playing in the SVG yeah. the yeah. old way. Remember before the tournaments and the leagues, it was like basement of yeah, the yeah. SVG. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so much fun. So, And I was I was shocked because when, when Chris, we, we ended up picking three missions and mm-hmm. vetoing one each because I'd heard about that sort of style yeah. before. So we tried that. And we ended up with, uh, is it retrieval? Yep retrieval mm-hmm. yeah so you know i gotta go grab the mission the, the objective flag. in your half and you gotta come count, grab it from my half so uh and i looked at his army and i'm like oh my god he's gonna wipe the table with me um just because that army has so much offensive power mm-hmm. but uh we played the game it was a lot of fun and i actually managed to squeak out a win five zip Mm. um i i completely did not go after his the objective on his side of the table Mm -hmm. um and i stayed back and received the charge essentially um but yeah it was it was a lot of fun crazy thing happened in the game i won't go on about it but Mm crazy thing happened before our lines clashed right mm-hmm. he has bulg not azog so mm-hmm. he's he's charging forward and at one point bulg is like okay i'm moving half and now i'm gonna fire my morgul arrow mm-hmm. and i'm firing at at frida frida tallspear and mm-hmm. i'm like yeah no problem it's it's a long long shot you know in the ways blah 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 so he fires he hits and i was like okay no problem in the way gets through the in the way rolls to wound wounds and i was like oh my god you're kidding and i'm like okay no problem i got one point of eight and three might so i roll one it's like oh (laughs) and i I messaged you after the game and i said okay here's the scenario and i laid that out and i said what do you do do you spend all three points of might to pass the fate or do you take a wound and then you have the Morgul arrow, so every turn you have to check to see if you're going to take another wound, which I believe if you roll a one, mm-hmm. you take another wound, and if that were to happen, you die, mm-hmm. right? So I ended up spending the three might. So one shot from way off, you know, takes off a fate point and three might 
from one of my heroes you know i only had what did i have four heroes i think yeah mm-hmm. so i was like oh and i really missed those those points of might in the game as oh, well I bet. yeah well because once bulg hit my lines he's like rampaging through all my guys mm-hmm. and i'm like trying to i'm trying to get some heroics in there and i got like hardly any might happening it was mm-hmm. like oh rough but yeah oh my god that was a that was a head shaker for sure the errant shot heard around the <laughs> yeah. world you know <laughs> exactly when yeah. in doubt just shoot <laughs> that's exactly it you know it's funny um at tgx last year god i don't remember it anymore um i was playing on the final round just playing against joseph and he had his elves and elrond and kirdan and the twins and i moved up and i got into just into range and i stopped like you know what I'm going to shoot. I moved up. I took a volley of shots. I freaking killed Elrond's horse. And I'm like, okay, I got a chance now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. And that had yeah. to be at least two years ago. Oh, yeah. Easily. That wasn't last year. That's right. Yeah, two years ago. But yeah, yeah, yeah. so the, 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 you never never look down on the, the volley of shots, even if it's like 5%. Yeah. Stranger things have happened. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And just to finish off my story about our games day. So um, I I have defeated Chris 5-0 mm-hmm. and then Chris played Garrett and did they play to the death? Yes, yes they, they played did. to the death. And essentially they just set up across from either each other and just charged each other. It was just a massive bloodbath. Um, I mean, competitive wise, um, I think if Garrett had to stood back and shot for turn or two more he would have had a better chance of winning because just because the the odds of causing wounds and and whatnot with urukai bows versus hunter orc bows he had a way better chance but anyway they charged into each other and it was very close chris ended up winning um 10 two or 10 three Mm -hmm. but it was it was all the points came right in the last turns because he he um garrett had two banners he killed both of the banners and killed lurts his leader Mm -hmm. like all in one turn and that was like a whole ton of points right Mm -hmm. there um but that was a crazy game too wow um there was some exciting wacky stuff happening there as well it it kills me that he's like oh i just stood there and shot him and i'm just like garrett you can move five and a half inches and still shoot your bow because of the drum why are you just standing there just yeah. <laughs> keep moving. Make him come to you. <laughs> what, moving back, you mean? Or? Well, moving to the side, moving back, move in any direction yeah. you want to move. Because you can move five. You move as fast as yeah. he moves normally, and you can shoot while he's doing it. So yeah. just keep moving and force him to like burn light on a march, yeah. you know? I think it was more of a question. It's like, look, this is my first game in probably two years. Let's just get this done. <laughs> It's true, very Let's true. get into it. That's exactly it. <clears throat> um, made to order. That's right. Have you, you going it? in on it or? Uh, well, the funny thing is, I have that Gladriel. Although Gladriel is not a model you will see much of at all these days. Um, spoiler yeah. alerts inbound. Um, but <laughs> in terms of like the Haldir's elves. Uh, not really. Like I owned hell a bunch of those elves like way earlier on. Uh, Lothlorien's not been a big. I've not been a big interest to me. I don't really care. Yeah. Um. Although the Moria shaman and captain, that I might be interested in, just because I have a Moria army and I don't have those models. Um. 
And then I bet you're, I bet you're keener on that captain Adele. I can already tell. Um, there's actually out of all of this, from what I see online, which is of course a very small amount of what's happening, um, he seems to be the model that's garnering the most interest in the conversations that I've seen. Mm-hmm. I have a captain of Dale, which I think the original was resin. Yeah, I haven't was. checked my model, but I have I have one captain of Dale. And I don't know if I need another one. Um, mm-hmm. There's been a lot of people talking about how they've ordered two or three, or should I order one or two um, kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's an it's an interesting question because certainly if you're playing pure Army of Dale, then yeah, get two. You'll need them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not playing a pure Army of Dale, you certainly won't need more than one because you've got two other better heroes to take, plus the Captain of Dale. And if you're not running a pure army of Dale, you're going to be taking models from the army of Thror. And models, army of Thror will probably be half or a third of your army. Mm. Um, so you won't need a second Captain uh, I'll be of honest, Dale. I think you should buy a second one, only because I feel like the army bonus for the Dale army, like for the Legendary Legion, because you know yeah. there's going to be a Dale Legendary Legion, um, you, oh, yeah. The, that army bonus, or the, the Legendary Legion bonus, I think is going to be strong enough that you can do a pure Dale list with some yeah. success. And only having one captain plus the two named characters, I mean, you're like, one's probably Hero Legend, one's probably Hero Valor, and then you get your normal captains. You're looking at what, 33, 45, 48 models tops. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of caps you at 700 or 800 points, whereas tops... Yeah, mm-hmm. for me, like in the past, I would never have said that I would ever have needed a second Captain of Dale, but I think now you can definitely put forward a strong argument for a second one. So that's the one model that I'm actually looking at in the in there because, you know, like you said, the elves, um, I do have some Merkwoods, or not Merkwood, um, some Galadron, and it was an army at one point that I was building, but at this point, it's one of the armies that I've said, you know what, I've got too much stuff going on. I'm going to park this indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so not interested in those two selections. Um, the La- the Lorian Elf Archers, the metal ones, I probably already have 20 of those models probably. unpainted still. So, yeah, don't need those. The Armored Moria Goblins, yeah, I have a passing interest on those because I do have a Balrog. I do have a whole bunch of Moria stuff. So that's a possibility. The Easterling stuff, the metal stuff. I'm not sure if I still have these models. I did have that unit at one point painted by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Can't remember if I still have it. Um, certainly don't need that. Um, and then, yeah, Galadriel, I have that model. It's actually Garrett's model, but I, I think I own it now because I've had it for so long. <laughs> Garrett, correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, and the Moria Shaman, Goblin Shaman, I have that model. It's painted. So, yeah, like the only thing really there is Captain of Dale and passing interest on Moria Goblins. So well, Those are the metal Moria Goblins. Those aren't even the plastic ones. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't buy right. the metal ones personally for my... Like, I'm, I'm a big... I'm not a big fan of the uh, the metal models in general. Yeah. I like my plastic ones. Uh, that, that Moria Goblin Shaman, though, that's interesting to me. But, like, for me to, like, really sort of flesh out my Moria army... Um, mm-hmm. A lot of those characters, I'm just going to convert them. You know what I mean? Like a convert a captain. Yeah. Okay, that's not that hard. Convert um, a black shield shaman. Okay, no biggies. I can do that too. 
So the one thing that I always I always wanted to have was a an armored Moria goblin captain with a shield, but it's always this guy with the bow, and it's like, yes, is there no model with a a shield for the captain? I guess not. No. You probably could buy one of these guys and use him as a captain just because the sculpt is different. You know what I mean? Yeah, or what I've done in the past too is just used a black shield guy and yeah. used him as a captain. So my my approach to to making a captain is always the same. You give him a cloak and you give him a rock to stand on. Boom. Right there he's already <laughs> distinguished himself. Which one's the captain? It's the guy on the rock, of mm. course. And the guy with a cloak, obviously. <laughs> Captains have cloaks. Look at every single bloody Lord of the Ring model. They all have cloaks. Yeah, right on. Right on. Yeah, and and stuff is happening. Like we played games, I said, and we have a tournament coming up that right. uh, that we're going to. Um, so I don't think you can make it, but no. Garrett and Chris and I are going, and looks like it's you know going to be maybe a twenty person tournament. So it'll be kind of the first one for quite a long time. Uh -huh. So excited about that! Seven hundred points, maximum forty models. Uh, I think heat. maximum maximum forty. I think because it's a time sort of controlling the time a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have to decide when I'm going to take to that. And I have next week off, so I'm excited about that because it means I'm going to paint some models. Ooh. Yeah, so I've been trying to set myself a goal. Not mm -hmm. sure what my goal will be, but it will be to paint at least one model. <laughs> um. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> you have a week off, man. Come on. Yeah. No, I'm thinking I'm thinking my goal cuz I don't want to do something stupid like say, you know, 30 models or something. Mm -hmm. But like if I say 10 models, you know, I got what is it? 9 days off, so I think 10 models is reasonable. Mm -hmm. I think I can do 10. We'll see. Well, uh, we'll see. It all depends upon the list you get. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Uh, well, and uh, one other thing, just to finish off, um, I just got in a bunch of models that I I bought, mm -hmm. uh, and you know they're not GW models; they're oh. sort of quote unquote proxies, I guess. I saw that, yeah. uh, but they're you know this this company is it Melbury Miniatures is mm -hmm. the designers the of the files um, has been putting out some really nice stuff and, <clears throat> you know, there are printer printing companies all over that, that print various, you know, models, 3d print stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's one here in Canada and Vancouver, and I'll just mention their name, M T M Printworks mm -hmm. um, in Vancouver, Canada. And I've ordered two or three times from them, extremely happy with the product, the service, um, just a small company, and I just got in my shipment of the Sapphire Dwarves, mm. um, and oh my god, they're fantastic. Just really? absolutely love them, and they will definitely be on my painting table for next week. Uh, I'm not going to paint all of them, but there, there are some there that I want to paint for sure, and it just raises, every time I see this kind of thing, I'm like, what is Games Workshop doing? Like, why have they not gotten into this market? I don't understand. It, it has to be an economic reason. There has to be an economic reason for, um, like, why aren't they getting into the 3D printed market? I, I don't get it. Like, even if it's just like making files, I guess it would kill their sales for plastic models. I don't know. It, it would absolutely destroy their sales for plastic models. I mean, 
the thing is that it's happening whether they like it or not so i i kind of don't understand the let's just ignore it strategy mm-hmm. uh and try to protect our ip where we can mm-hmm. I, I i don't know enough about the business i guess um, but uh, just the complete lack of any involvement in it is, uh, I don't get it. Well, I, I think the challenge right now is if you were to sell your STL file, right, to a 3D printer, right, like a third-party one, one, how do you guarantee the quality is the equivalent to your own? You can't because GW uses um, laser-etched metal molds to create their models, Right. Yeah. Whereas not even a commercial, like it would take a commercial 3D printer to equal the quality, which those are thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. The other piece is how do you monetize that? Right. Like it's one thing to say you're going to make the <laughs> sorry, you're going to make these models and you owe me a royalty fee. Right. But how do you mm-hmm. know what the click rate on the royalty fee is for the 3D prints? Right. Yeah. And it's just like like there's just too many and on top of that it's also like I'm going to give you this file you can't reproduce it how do you control that you know there's just too many things right now and I don't think I think it's a mistake on GW's part but I also think there's going to be there would be a dilution of their product and yeah, from, I, I understand from a profit that yeah and, and and because their stuff is so iconic because like yeah. you know they, their Age of Sigmar Warhammer stuff is so iconic uh, Lord of the Rings stuff is fairly iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they can like take the position of protecting the IP. And so anything essentially that plagiarizes those things, they can mm-hmm. stop it from happening. Okay, you know, that's fine. Um, but honestly, uh, like this is happening. Like mm-hmm. it's it's happening and you can stop it to a certain point where it's infringing upon your product. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a huge market that you're you're missing out on. It's it's a huge new wave that you're missing out on. Um, I don't know. I, I just think they need to maybe rethink it. But I'm, I'm sure they are. I'm sure it's mm-hmm. on their mind every day um, because it's got to be hurting their sales. And, you know, a lot of people take the position, oh, well, th- well, that's not good because, you know, they make the game and you're not supporting the game. You know, th- that's bad that you're buying that, those models. And it's like, it's not bad. Like, I've bought almost every model they've produced for the game, yeah. you know. I, like, don't tell me that I'm not supporting the game. I certainly am supporting it. I've supported mm-hmm. it as much as I could. Mm-hmm. In fact, I want them to put out more models. I'm willing to buy more models. Mm-hmm. They're just not producing them. Right? Well, I, I, think that, I think the challenge there with GW, and this is my gripe with the whole price increase thing. I'm like, you can increase your prices. That's fine. You've got, um, you know, you've got your supplies and you've got um, the, the inputs have gone up because of Brexit and all that jazz. That's fine. I get that. Yeah, but like a couple of things here. The cost of a product, uh, the cost of one of your models is like one the inputs, two the labor that goes into it, three the administrative side to it, and four the R and D, right? Because there's always that design element that has to be recouped over the price. Of course, of it. yeah, of course. These are Lord of the Rings models that have been around for 15 or 20 years. You have yeah. not remade the line. What are you doing no. charging more for this stuff? It's ridiculous. You've recouped the R&D cost on this for many fold. And like, you're asking me to buy um, like 
for example, Rangers of Athelion, just because I'm looking at my models. In some of these models, you can't tell where one section of the detail ends and where the next section begins. Yeah. And you're asking me now to pay $5 more for this? Are you kidding me? Well, and, and like I'm talking about dwarves, because like I'm a dwarf player guy, and you know, I play a lot of stuff, but uh, like I love the Khazadum. And you know how hard it is to get a dwarf with a shield? It's ridiculous. Right? It's ridiculous. You know, you have to buy this really old set of dwarves and like one third of them, what are there, 12 or there's 24 now? Mm -hmm. And only one third of them come with shields and there's only four different poses mm -hmm. and, and their poses have been around for 20 years, which is fine. They're, they're, all, they're decent poses, mm -hmm. most of them. Um, but it's like, okay, like I don't need more guys with two-handed weapons. I don't need more guys with bows. I need guys with shields, mm -hmm. for God's sakes. It's a dwarf army, mm -hmm. right? So, like, you know, I'm like looking on eBay to buy old metal stuff. I'm converting like Erebor guys. It's, mm -hmm. it's just like, why do that? Like, I'm just going to go to this company that sells a dwarf that looks almost exactly like any other dwarf, but you can just buy the ones with shields. Or better yet, why are you not like outsourcing it like they've got like their two or three really top-notch guys right that are building these models out why don't you subcontract out and to, to these 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 stl designers who are really good at their jobs make these yeah. really beautiful models and say look i'll buy your stl files with yeah. certain requirements on quality and whatnot and i'll pay you a royalty for every unit sold and do you know how fast these 3d designers would be like yes please take it and all of a yeah, sudden it's like and it's like any other named product in the world that you buy, whether it be a TV, a stereo, a car, or whatever. Mm -hmm. if, it, if it's got the name on it, you're willing to pay a little bit more. So, yeah. you know, exactly. I don't understand. It's uh, just... the, the other thing, you know, you mentioned the 3D printing and, and how, like, they're, they're, they're just letting this happen. Like, they have another way of sort of getting around it or circumventing it, and they just really aren't sort of capitalizing on that. And that's the tournament scene. Right, and even event scenes in general. Because if, because right now you can't go to a Warhammer World event with non GW product, it's an absolute big no no. And they will look yeah, at your course. models. Like, if you're really sort of like hell bent on making sure your armies or people are buying your models because these are the tournament goers that come, you should be expanding your tournament scene to be like, look, we'll run the tournament scene in this whole area using our massive um, stores that we create that can house 100, 150 people armies, 150 people player uh, tournaments. And that way we can control who brings what models. You know what I yeah. mean? And so that's like... But they're not capturing that. Like this is revenue they could be like could be jumping on. You mm -hmm. know, instead of building all these small shops all the time, build larger ones that can house tournaments and be like, look, we're running a tournament each month right here. Yeah. You know, but you have to use GW product. Cool. Yeah, and I'm fine. You know, it's your house, your rules. All GW product, fine. I yeah. I don't have an issue with that, right? I won't bring my 3D printed stuff. No problem. I've got tons of GW stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's just that, like, I'm a guy with a big collection, but I still want more stuff, mm -hmm. and and I want new stuff. And you, you know, want, I don't want to just buy more of the same thing. And you want better detailed stuff, like yeah, like the stuff these these designers do at the Games Workshop is really top quality stuff. I will not deny that, but like. You produce so few and far between because supply versus demand. Like, step out to some of the subcontracted, um, you know, ST, uh, 3D designers. They are as good, if not better, than, than what you've got in house. 
And you can yeah. you could revamp the Lord of the Rings range literally in a year. Literally in yep. a year. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's already being done, honestly. The the like not to go on about this forever, but honestly the the IP like you can so easily get around that with like slight design modifications mm-hmm. and like entire armies are are being new STL files are being built for entire armies like one army at a time mm-hmm. like a year from now the whole range will be available you know <laughs> slightly different looking but yeah um so, and you know like you said like pretty much nowadays like everything that games workshop puts out in terms of models is like to me is just incredible quality Mm -hmm. um and if you look around the internet at all the different 3d files that are out there it's not all incredible quantity quality you know there's definitely some stuff out there that is like yeah not not so great but yeah anyway why don't we move on to our main topic before this entire episode just becomes us like chatting about random stuff all right sounds good to me I mean, we didn't even talk about our plan or strategy for this uh, this episode. We just dove right into no, random yeah. thoughts, some floats them, <laughs> floats them, and jets them. <laughs> this is this is a shoot from the hip episode. That's right, shoot from the hip. Well, uh, we're gonna quickly take a, a left turn into I say left turn because I'm left-handed uh, into the structured world of FAQ discussion, and that is our topic for let's talk about. The FAQ. My big question for the FAQ, uh, which I asked you today, was is there an FAQ on um, battle companies? Because usually there's never anything on it. And there was one. So we'll hopefully get to that. We'll talk about it right now. And that is, can you use some sort of modifier to reduce a warrior's role to prevent them from becoming a hero? The answer is so, no. They have to become yeah. one. <laughs> oh, like if you if you roll to see if somebody becomes a a hero or gets an upgrade or gets nothing. So if you roll a six, you are a hero in the making. And right. if you roll a four or five, you get a promotion. And if it's a one, two, or three, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. So I guess someone was asking. So if I roll a six and I'm a hero in the making, can I t- take a different result? Mm-hmm. And it's no. The warrior is clearly destined for greatness and must take up the mantle of being a hero. Ha ha. That's right. None of this. Yeah. Sh- no, no. I like this, that answer. None of this good degree. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, oh, and I'll mention too that other than that one question, I have not looked at, seen, read, participated in conversations about the FAQ. So this is literally the first time I have seen this. So my reaction, that will be the, the position of, of my reaction to this. Brand new. Brand new. That's right. Dawn has no clue what's going on. And uh, this should be fun. As usual. All right. Alrighty. So um, I have cherry picked this FAQ because quite honestly, I there was a lot of answers, questions and answers and some very brief errata that really has... This is cherry picked. It's seven pages long. Oh, there was a lot more, my friend. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it was seven pages long. Uh, this is cherry picked because there's a lot more questions that, you know, I didn't really feel like we needed to bring up because it had 
Minimal impact on the meta and minimal impact on our gameplay because it's either stuff we've already done or it's, you know, anyways. So I just picked the stuff that I found very fascinating that could affect the meta in some ways, um, shape or form. Okay, let's do this. Okay, so this is going to be long, so smoke them if you got them or go get yourself a drink. That's right. So we'll start with the Army of the Hobbit. I'll give a question. I'll give an answer. So first off, the format is I'll give a question or I'll give the question. I'll give the answer and commentary. Okay. And then at the very end, once we go through all of this, we're going to sort of do a very quick uh, TLDL, too long, didn't listen, of how all of these changes will impact the meta at sort of like a very broad high level. Okay. So sounds good. The first question is if the Goblin King is set ablaze as a result of the channeled version of the Flame Burst magic power, will he still get to use his Blubbery Mass special rule? And the answer is not against the initial Strength 9 hit, as that is caused by the magic power. However, Blubbery Mass can be used against wounds inflicted by the Strength 5 hit at the end of each turn. Now, this creates some very interesting precedents. Because mm-hmm. now we're talking about secondary spell effects and whether they actually count as magical powers, right? Right. And, uh, you know, you've got um, the, the channeled uh, flame burst ability. It sounds like the whole thing should count as a magical power, but this is saying, no, actually it doesn't. All secondary effects are no longer magical for the purposes mm-hmm. of blubbery mass or interestingly in purposes for things like Fangorn, like their army special rule, right? Um, so uh, it, it creates some interesting discussions on uh, what part of a spell's secondary effect counts as magical versus not. Well, in this case, you know, okay, we're imagining something that doesn't really exist. But um, so the magical attack is, you know, the turn in which it happens, the mm-hmm. impact of the fire. So obviously that is, you know, he gets or he doesn't get the blubbery mask because it's a magical attack. Mm-hmm. But after that, you know, you're just on fire. You're just on fire. So it's it's no longer anything magical about it. You're just on fire. So mm-hmm. you get the blubbery mask now. But fire was caused by magic, right? So, but just from just from the, the point of speculation here, it does create a potential. Um, uh, ambiguity with players being like, does this does this element of the spell count as uh, a magical power or not? Mm. So, well, um, uh, you have something written here about sorceress blast, but the you know in sorceress blast, okay, the, when the model gets hit by a sorceress blast, um, well, that's a magical attack. Mm-hmm. So you know whatever resistances apply or don't apply based on it being a magical attack, but when that person gets bodily thrown into another person mm-hmm. that is not a magical attack right that is somebody's body being thrown into you right so that because here's the thing it's in the spell description right well even though set of blaze is also in the spell description that if i sorceress blast somebody into a combat all the models in the combat are not prone right so 100 agree with you the magical power is i just chuck this dude into a bunch of those people the question yep. is, does it count as a magical power effect if I knock everybody in that combat prone, right? Which I would argue, based upon this precedent, no, it's not a magical effect. And to your point, I've just thrown a guy into a bunch of people. I'm throwing a, like a rag doll into people and knocking them down. There's no yep. magic to that, right? It's, it's called gravity and mass and velocity. <laughs> <laughs> and so 
The reason why I mention that is because, and I'm just going to quickly do a, a quick jump over another question in the Army of the Hobbit and dive right into the Army of the Lord of the Rings. And this is why I was sort of making this point is that the next question is, does the Fangorn army bonus mean that Ents cannot be knocked prone? And the answer is no, Ents can still be knocked prone as normal with the exception of the Call Winds, Nature's Wrath, Wrath of Bruinen, and Sorcerer's Blast magical powers. And so the point here I'm making is the secondary effect of hurling a Sorcerer's Blasted model into a combat that includes an Ent, before mm -hmm. the Ent would be like, I don't get knocked prone, right? I'm immune. Yeah. Now it's, or because the Fangorn army bonus says, I never get knocked prone, right? It essentially applies that. But this is saying, no, actually, they can get knocked prone. They just can't be directly affected by magical powers that would knock them prone. This is, in to me, I'm reading this as, you can Sorceress Blast into a combat that includes an Ent and a non-Ent. And guess what? They're going to get knocked prone. Right now, uh, like, sorry, I don't have all of these sorceress blasts uh, slash hurl um, models memorized. But isn't there something to do with your defense or strength being six or higher that prevents you being knocked over? Ah, so this is the main difference between hurl and sorceress blast, and it's why sorceress blast is so good in combat. When you hurl into combat. You do not knock over models that are strength six or stronger, right? You just don't. Okay. Everybody else in the combat gets knocked down. So what you do is, um, if you're like an eagle army, right? One mm -hmm. of your eagles goes first, wins the combat, hurls a guy into another eagle combat, knocks everybody down, but the eagle just stands there and is a-okay, right? Okay. But so that would apply to the the ant too. He wouldn't get knocked down. That's correct because he's strength right. six or more. Okay, right? continue. Um, but Sorcerer's Blast states that if I Sorcerer's Blast a guy into a combat, all the models in the combat get knocked prone regardless of their strength value. Hmm, wow. Okay. So... Because it's fueled by magic, man. It's not just a monster hurling. This is like a... That's exactly this is, it. This is the big stuff. That's exactly it. And um, I think there was another comment or question that I may have skimmed over. Um that pretty much says that if I Sorcerer's Blast, um, it's actually in the rule book, and I'm sort of jumping around here real quick. Um, if a model in a combat is affected by the Sorcerer's Blast magic power, will all models of Strength 6 or higher in the same combat also be knocked prone and take a Strength 3 hit as well? And the answer is yes. So we take all three of those points together. Mm -hmm. The secondary effect of Sorcerer's Blast is not, and there's a precedent, not a magical power. Yeah. I can knock anybody of strength six or higher over with a Sorcerer's Blast if I'm hitting <laughs> a guy into a combat, and Ents no longer are immune to knockdown. They're just immune to the knockdown of being directly targeted by spells. Right. So what all that means is allying Treebeard into like an elf army is not a good thing anymore. It, it, it's a, it, is, it is a definitive blow against that sort of strategy if you're going up against a wizard with Sorcerer's Blast. Now, I'm not saying it's bad in general, but um, bringing like a big a monster like Ents uh, or Treebeard into a combat 
or into an allied army um, opens you up into a situation where I can take a lowly numpty charge tree beard and another guy, right? Like another like like elf, for example. I sorceress blast the elf, right? Who doesn't have magic resistance. The whole combat gets knocked down, and guess what? Tree beard gets knocked prone. Mm, wow. Yeah, that seems like a big a big change. Yeah. Now, all right, it, let's move on. This is the first question. Oh my god, right. this is going to take forever. But hey, no, it's not the first question because we've knocked over three questions in the process. Okay, okay. That's right. <laughs> Thank goodness. So, is this a nerf to Fangorn? As an army, like as a pure army? Not really. No. I mean, the only way you're knocking Fangorn models over is if you try to do like a bash, like a, a strength four, or strength five model using a two-handed weapon uh, and mm -hmm. trying to bash an ent over. Odds are not yeah. good you're going to do it. So, going to say it's not really going to affect the Fangorn army too much, but if you're trying to ally Ents into another army, you will see some issues if you go up against like a, a Gandalf or a... Um, or a Saruman. Okay. I, I think really it's not so much a knock against Fangorn as it is a, uh, a leg up for the sorceress blasters out there. That's right. It is a big leg up for them. Um, yeah. Considering whenever you brought Gandalf, whenever you brought Gandalf or Saruman and you played against um, Ents, uh, you're like, oh, God, they're not going to do much of anything. Yay. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's dive into the big one. All right, let's get into this right off the, the hop. One. The big one. This is, this is by and far the biggest ramification to the meta. This is the whole reason why we have the title, A New Meta is Born. Okay, and this is even bigger than the Vanquishers nerfs, of which there were many. Uh, and that is Galadriel, Lady of Light, is now considered to be a hero of fortitude. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. 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 Now, let's talk about the ramifications here. Meaning, yellow alliances are with Galadriel are pretty much kaputsk, right? To, because to get Galadriel into a yellow alliance, you are looking at having to ally her plus Celeborn, who's the cheapest person, because uh, you need a you need a hero of valor first correct. and foremost, and then once you have the hero of valor, you can bring other people, i.e., Galadriel, who's a hero of fortitude. Bingo! So, so you have to pay the hero of valor tax now. The, exactly, and the hero of valor tax, the cheapest hero of valor tax, is Celeborn at 130 points, and he's naked. Normally, you give him 20 points of upgrades, you know, like armor, shield, and yeah. a sword. <laughs> so yeah. right off the hop, you're paying the 150 point. Um, Valor tax, and you're looking at paying out 270 or two, sorry, 280 points just to bring Galadriel, Lady of Light, into your Yellow Alliance. Well, that's not ever going to happen. Yeah, so okay. it's like, come on over, baby. Okay, but my husband's got to come with me. Yeah, forget it. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. No, we're good. We're good. Uh, and so, what does that mean? Okay. Well, I think this is a rebalancing between good and evil. Right, and I'm gonna go big on this one and say evil armies were really hindered by Fortify Spirit, and I'm talking Mordor, I'm talking, um, I'm talking almost darn near every shooting army. You're talking um, Harad, you're talking Corsairs of Umbar, you're talking Isengard because of Galadriel's blinding light or her light of Elendil or Arendil, sorry. Um, and then you're also talking about Angmar, you're talking about Mordor, uh, pretty much anyone who can bring a caster in evil and evil brings casters, right? They bring rights. Well, you, you haven't even mentioned Banish as right. well. You I'd know, there's this spell called Banish that's pretty damn good too. Yeah, and so those two things, Fortify Spirit 
and um, her Light of Arendil, uh, which I'm probably massacring the Elvish name of it, um, hindered so many evil armies. And I don't care when people say, well, she wasn't that prevalent. I mean, even seeing two or three top players, top table players bring her means you're shutting down 80 or 90% of the, the player, evil players from having a chance at the top. Okay. So light of Arendil yes. is the is the uh, minus one versus shooting attacks. Is that it's, what that is? No, no, it's blinding light. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Blinding light, but yeah. it's permanent, meaning you can't like sap will her to zero will and it goes away, right? Because it's a, it's, a, it's a piece of war yeah. It's not um, a spell. It's not a spell. That's right. So um, that's the big thing about redressing the lines, right? We've talked about um, good being so powerful because it had the prevalence of fortified spirit. Well, it no longer does. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. Unless you're willing to pay some big points to bring in fortified spirit in your list. Now, there is one thing to say here. White Council is Green Alliance with Rivendell. So if you didn't want to go with Kyrdan, you go with... Galadriel, Lady of Light, and your yeah. allied Rivendell list. So you can still see Galadriel appear again with Rivendell, but you know Rivendell has its own challenges. Whereas you saw Galadriel appear, uh, and there's a Lady Light I'm always talking about. You see Galadriel appear in both Lord of the Rings era and Hobbit era armies. Uh, yeah. A big thing was Galadriel, Lady of Light, appearing with Army of Lake Town. And then allying in a bunch of like heavy hitting heroes. And that was a nasty list. But now you, you, you can't see that anymore, right? And so. No, like now, like it's. I think the only list you're going to see her in now is the White Council, the Vanquishers, and mm -hmm. allied with Rivendell, like you said. Like exactly. that's pretty well. She's really been pushed to one side now. Oh, very much so. Which um, I think is good because honestly, Galadriel. Like Galadriel's profile, you know, as represented so in the game, you know, it shouldn't really be the Galadriel Lady of Light profile. Like the Galadriel Lady of Light, it only happened in one like incredibly small part of mm -hmm. of the books, right? The the one scene in the, where they banish the necromancer that like that's that's what that profile is just mm -hmm. from that one scene. Yeah, like every other sighting of Galadriel <laughs> you know, like in the story is the other Galadriel profile. Right, and there's a reason because when she used all of that power to banish the uh, the necromancer, she exhausted herself. Now, I don't know if it was a permanent mm -hmm. exhaustion, but it, it was an exhaustion for quite some time. Um, so that is something to be said there. It was kind of like Galadriel gone like super mode for like eight seconds yeah. of like, let's capture that profile and put her into the game. Um, <laughs> so let's first talk about, before we dive back into that good versus evil discussion, let's talk about can you replace Galadriel, right? So she's mm. costing about 280 points right now to ally her into a yellow alliance, okay? So if you well, want to... Well, I'm not an expert here, mm -hmm. but doesn't... Um, Gandalf the White bring a bunch of the stuff that she had. Right, he does. But he's a lot more expensive, I believe. He's two. Isn't he close to two hundred? Or he's two forty, including oh Shadowfax. Right. Okay. So for two hundred forty points, you're getting essentially all the spells she has, except for Instill Fear. Doesn't have Instill Fear. Okay. Uh, but he does bring Fortify Spirit. He has to cast his own Blinding Light. He doesn't get it, um, like like the Light of Ar Ar Arendil. Um, he does get Banished though. 
Um, but he does get also get things like Sorcerer's Blast, um, Compel, Transfix. So he gets all of these amazing spells, right? So he gets a bigger spell repertoire. The problem is he's fight five, she's fight six. He's strength five, which is good, don't get me wrong, but he's only two attacks. She's three attacks. Now, so he has, um, there's some trade-offs with the profiles, right? In that he's defense six, she's defense three. They both get re-rolls um, and they both get the free point of might. Blah, free point of will. Re-roll fate. Yeah, re-roll fate. Uh, and they both get the free point of will. But you know what? I almost would rather pay 40 more points and get a second model. You know what I mean? I'd rather yeah. pay 40 more points, get a strong attacker like Celeborn, who has three attacks, who has fight six, you know what I mean? Who gets three more might on the table you know, then go for Gandalf the White. It just makes more sense to me. You know well, I mean? essentially, that's the difference is you're, you're paying through the nose for Gandalf in terms of points. You are, yeah. You in know, this it's not thing. like, you know, 240 points. Well, you're not going to have too many heroes in your army for <laughs> 240 points, maybe two yeah. at the most, and only at like a high level, a high point level tournament. Exactly. So... Let's say, what's the other option? Well, we can go with anti-shooting and a sort of a pseudo-anti-magic option, but extremely poor melee capability, and that is Gandalf the Grey, right? Now, we've talked about Gandalf the Grey and Where Art Thou, Gandalf, and Saruman. The big challenge Gandalf the Grey brings to Lord of the Rings-era armies, as we've talked about, is he's a hero of legend. Not great for Contest of Champions, especially considering he's a one-attack model. Um, and his, uh, what is it, Protection of the Valar, uh, very situational and requires a lot of setup. Um, and that doesn't protect him from being spellcasted upon. And he's a very expensive anti-shooting option. It's almost like I'd rather just buy a lower pointed like melee hero and just yeah. a chunk more infantry models to soak shooting. Right. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So... What kind of army styles does this hinder? Let's get into this. Linebreaker. Linebreaker is the one army type that, you know, used Galadriel Lady of Light to shore up their big weaknesses, which is shooting and magic, right? Okay. If you can have three or four mounted heroes all have Fortify Spirit on them, all within a these the blinding light bubble. Um, move towards the enemy, that is a really hard nut to crack from a range. That's gone, which means you can spend 170 points on a Gandalf the Grey, which means you're losing hitting power, a lot of hitting power, in fact. Um, or you can choose to go without, which means you're now more susceptible to shooting armies. And as we said in almost all of our tactics against Linebreaker, what's the best way to beat them? Shoot the horses out, right? Yeah. Without any more blinding light, there's no shooting, there's no defending against that. You've got mm -hmm. to throw three or four in the ways just to defend. Um, and then that also makes uh, pushes a huge uh, impetus on a linebreaker army needing the march captain, whether that's a hero with march like Aragorn King LSR, or just having some hero with march to push your army as fast as possible to get into the battle lines. So that will definitely change linebreaker style armies moving forward, and I don't think they'll be as strong as they used to be. No, I agree. Like when I when I read this, you know, yeah, it's going to be it's going to have a effect. You're going to see less of Galadriel. That's that seems to be the point of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's going to hurt certain armies, certain good armies that were used to taking her. But do you think that's the real reason for this? 
Like to me, a lot, like all of the FAQs that come out, they seem to always have one big, one big question in there that is really helpful for ring wraiths. Because like ring race in this edition were basically pushed out of the game. Yeah. Except for the Witch King. Never see them anymore. Right? Every FAQ that's come out seems to be giving like something back to the ring race. You know, they got their own legendary legion. You know, last I think it was the last FAQ we had the Black Dart FAQ, mm-hmm. which was huge, yes. right? And now this one here, yeah, it's all about Galadriel, but really it's not about Galadriel. It's about Ring Wraiths to me. Mm-hmm. It's like th- this is bringing Ring Wraiths back onto the table now well, for, I, for evil armies. I think, ge- like genuinely, I think the goal, like as we now start looking back at ring wraiths um with once the the new edition changed with the addition changed to black dart and i think that was really cunningly done um say what they want about anybody else who who um mocked it it's actually a really good change um it 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 really sort of created a situation where if galandriel or fortify if fortify spirits are not on the table Mm -hmm. you have a ring race are actually really good right but because so many players would bring galadriel lady of light it created these sort of gatekeeper situations where if i run into a gatekeeper army which is a good army with galadriel lady of light my wraith army is shut down and my chances of getting to the top like top tables are very low right i have to have other things involved in my army it can't just be a couple wraiths and a bunch of troops yeah now and I think that wasn't the intention for the rules designers. I don't think the prevalence of Galadriel in the meta was the purpose or the intention of the rules designers. And I think they didn't nerf her sooner, mostly probably mostly because of COVID, right? Like nobody was playing, so there's no point dropping the hammer on her. But now that they've probably brought her to where she should be, which is a mm-hmm. rarity on the tabletop. Yeah. Let's be honest, yeah. a rarity. Um, it actually brings back wraiths to where they should be. Now, I've heard people talk about, oh, it's going to bring wraiths back to the good old days. Well, no, actually, it's not. Wraiths nowadays are still heavily nerfed compared to where they were. Yeah, they're, they're like, don't get me wrong. They're not They're not all of a sudden the bee's knees. They're, mm-hmm. they're still struggling, especially the named ones. Oh, yes. Um, because the changes to the named ones, like having to pay will for your ability to work, like that's harsh like that's Mm -hmm. beyond harsh compared to what it used to be Mm -hmm. and you know this is not by any means giving them like nothing but green lights this this is just something that will now allow them to be played with Mm -hmm. whereas whereas before yeah this was just another thing that was shutting them down yeah and and i think we've all seen how the meta has evolved where it's no longer about spamming two or three wraiths on fell beasts and you do the assassination that's not a thing that happens anymore. Mostly because Wraith's Might is very hard to come by uh, and they need mm-hmm. it for so many different things that calling a heroic combat is not something they want to do. Especially they don't want to call a heroic channeling, right? Even if you were a mightless uh, or a willless uh, good hero, you know, uh, they're not going to call a heroic channeling on you because, yeah, sure, they nerf your, your, your fight value down to below theirs. Right, and they, they have your attacks, mm-hmm. uh, and then they go in for the kill. Okay, so let's plan this out for a minute. You get your Shadow Lord, for example, on a Fell Beast. 
Castle Heroic Channeled um, Compel moves you into a specific area and you're a big hero. You're an Aragorn King LSR, right? But you're now standing there in the middle of nowhere, fight three with two attacks or something. They charge in and the, the Shadow Lord goes, let's say the Shadow Lord wins the fight. Here's the big problem. Aragorn has defense seven, which most of the really good heroes are defense seven. He also has three fate and three wounds. You're not one-shotting one a, a big hero with a three-attack, even a four-attack um, Wraith, when I'm talking Witch King on with the crown on a fell beast. You're not one-shotting this model because you need fives to wound on six dice. You're going to get two wounds, and if you're running the... Um, the Witch King situation with eight attacks, you'll get three wounds, maybe four. That's not six wounds needed to kill this big guy. You know what I mean? So yeah. you're, and if you're calling a heroic channeling, you're not going to be also calling a heroic combat because then you're diving into a, you're diving into that combat with no might. So if you whiff your dice roll, you're screwed. So okay, let my let my brain catch up to all of that because it's like you're talking like I understand what you're saying, but mm -hmm. what it is is you're a strength six because you're on a fell beast mm -hmm. and he's defense seven, mm -hmm. therefore you need a five to wound. Mm -hmm. Therefore you need a whole whack of attacks in order to guarantee a kill. Yeah. Because he's got three wounds, but he's also got three fate, fate and he's got lots of might to make sure he survives yeah and he's and in this particular case we're, yeah, talking, yeah. we're talking about aragorn and so whereas before and they talk this is like the good old days you could hurl you could rend and get the double strikes right that was what it was yeah. for at least in our meta and that was guarantee you the kill you're getting six dice you're wounding on yeah. threes yeah the odds of you killing aragorn king yeah, are very yeah, high yeah. you know Whereas now it's not. So you, you could do that massive setup to kill like a Faramir, which, which is two fate, two wounds. Sure, you could mm -hmm. do that, but that's a lot of resources to kill a model yeah. like that. And you're setting yourself up like, you're only gonna get to do that once. And like, just like the cost differential there, it just doesn't work. So, and I've tried to calculate this out. And I think the new meta of Wraiths is about Wraiths that cast from behind the lines and they use models like the Spider Queen, they use models like Gulivar, they use those types of models to be the, the assassins, the models that will get the kills. Yeah, the you know, guys that actually do the killing. Exactly, the guys that actually do the killing. Um, so don't be surprised if you see a Mordor, um, uh, a Mordor and uh, Denizens of Mirkwood build or an Angmar build just take off and and, and prevalence because they're going to be a really strong contender now against the good armies because Galadriel's mm -hmm. not on the table anymore, not in any sort mm. of abundance. Good. Look forward to it. And the other beautiful thing is just before we, so we finish here is that evil armies like Isengard, like Harad, like Corsairs, that are the leaf blower armies. Those, those big like 12, 18 crossbow armies or Harad with its 24 shots. There's no blinding light anymore right um there is but like your opponent really has to spend for it and that's not yeah. generally in their budget so you have free reign to just start unloading into people um <laughs> and that really brings back their strength because um good armies or evil armies do have really strong um um shooting lists you know what I mean? Army of Dale for the win. That's right. Uh, and I will say this: who is also strengthened by the 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 
her absence. The Vanquishers of the Necromancer got a buff because she's no longer present. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How ironic, eh? Yeah, exactly. So expect to see um, evil armies really jump up. Um, and I think this will see a big equalizer. We may actually start seeing um, e- um, big heroes um, take more of a, a mainstream appearance. Um, or we may end up seeing them just disappear altogether. Um, the big heroes appearing uh, in armies versus lots of small ones because of their resilience and being able to take a hit. Um, but if Angmar starts appearing in abundance, um, you'll probably stop seeing big heroes. I think you'll start seeing more of the mid- mid-tier heroes. Interesting. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Mm-hmm. All um, right, what's next? We talked about boosting ring rates. Well, we're going to dive into another boost for ring rates. Um, the question from the army of the Lord of the Rings is, whilst mounted on Treebeard, can Merry and Pippin be targeted individually by magical powers or special rules? The answer is yes, though any magical powers or special rules that target the entire model will also affect Treebeard, who can then attempt to resist as normal, if applicable. Mm. So, this is a nerf to Fangorn. So, so let, me, let me stop you right there. Isn't this in direct contradiction to what the special rule for Treebeard actually says? Um, let's find out. I'm not sure. Uh, well, no, I actually they, 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 didn't. no, it's actually not a direct contravention. It's not because the special rule is similar to Grima's special rule in that you can't target Merry or Pippin um, for shooting attacks or combat attacks, even though they're sort of a special passenger. It makes no mention of okay. them uh, for magical powers. So it's specific to like shooting or whatever else you said there. Mm-hmm. And they count as... so. And they count as being part of the Fangorn army list for all intents and purposes, but they don't count as being Ent models, Ent keyword, okay? Um, And so they count as passengers, right? With the exception that enemy shooting attacks, enemy shooting and attacks may not target them, right? That doesn't mention spells. So obviously we've just pointed out here that if you can, that you can target them, right? So two things, ring race and black dart, boy, oh boy. Get ready to get splashed in the face with a black dart, Barry and Pippin. <laughs> well, hold on a second now. What what happens if you sorceress blast one of those guys? Well, that's the big question. So, <laughs> if you sorceress blast one of them, it affects the whole model, right? So Treebeard gets a chance to resist, right? If Treebeard oh, because resi- they're passengers, right? Right. Right. But okay, if okay. Treebeard resists, like his ant special rule kicks in, meaning no knock to the pr- no knock prone, none of that shenanigans. But if Treebeard fails the roll, and they are affected by Sorceress Blast, does Treebeard's special rule, which is the Fangorn Army bonus, that specifically mentions Ents, confer to Merry and Pippin, who are not an Ent? Yeah. Wow. That's. You're right. So if they, and I don't, I honestly don't think they would. Let's be honest. I don't think it would. In which case, you would be pitching Mary and Pippin off of a six-inch tall model <laughs> to take five strength three hits on the way down, because they are counted as a passenger and they would get they would get dismounted, right? I would think. I guess, yeah. I guess, yeah. I don't know. So, anyways, you can sorceress blast them and you can black dart them, okay? And that means, and then there's a reason why it's so important um, for armies that are heavily reliant on wraiths. Killing a bloody ant is a hard thing to do, 
getting them to break is very hard to pull off. Well, and the reason why their break is so high is because it's super easy to boost their break or to boost their army count by two just to put Merry and Pippin in, right? Well, now I can just kill Merry and Pippin and I get the effect of killing two models, right? Yeah. So that all I need to do is kill two more Ents instead of killing four Ents to get you to break. A much easier task for an well, enemy kind of one army. of the missions too is at Fog of War, where it's like pick a hero to kill, mm-hmm. and if like if you have a ring wraith, it's like yeah, I'll just pick one of them. Yeah, and the other thing is before you could always pick one of them to defend, right? Yeah, because it can't be touched. That's right, and so now you can't do that. So this is a definitely a nerf to Fangorn, and as we already talked about, uh, evil becoming more prominent and wraiths becoming more prominent expect this to be a, a hit to fangorn uh mm-hmm. who's already a mid-tier list to begin with this is a bigger hit to them um which is really not good for them okay. right let's dive into the next question um can floy stonehand use his lore master special rule to negate special rules that are not isolated um or sorry not listed as either active or passive such as those found in a legendary legion or a war beast model's ability to trample. And this, sadly for Kazadoom players, is a no. Floyd can only use his lore master ability to negate a special rule that is listed as either active or passive. Don, your thoughts? Um actually I I rarely ever play with Flowey. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I, he's just, you know, I play a lot with Balan, but rarely ever play with Flowey. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're very specific about these are sort of niche abilities. And, mm-hmm. I, and I wouldn't even like there's a couple mentioned here. But other than that, like how many other abilities are there that are not listed as either active or passive? I mean, every legendary legion, right? Every legendary legion um, attribute isn't is you know used to be considered to be a passive ability, right? Yeah. Um, well, why would he ever be like? Okay, so you know we're talking about army of Dale, so their their army rule. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's an army rule, that's not army a special rule. rule. A special yeah. Rule, yeah. So legendary legions, the difference is that it's listed as a special rule in mm-hmm. the rule books so that the people feel that this should apply. Which, so, for example, um, like the army of Dunland has, um, I forget what it is, the war cry, where... Um, your banners count as six inches, I think it is. Oh, that's is that the army special rule? I forget. I don't have the book with me either, so... Well, I will give you a special rule. Vanquishers of the Necromancer. Almost all those bloody special rules, right? And so one of the counters you could have used pre-FAQ was Floyd could go up and be like, you know what? I'm just going to turn that ability off on that model, right? Such as I'm just going to turn Radagast's ability um, to cast in combat off. And now I'm going to charge him in combat. He's no longer going to cast Nature's Wrath. And now I have a chance mm-hmm. of actually killing you. Cool. Now that's gone, Right. Because it's not listed as either active or passive. That's right. And so, I mean... Well, the impact impact seems pretty big because Mm -hmm. now, like, most of these rules are are rules that are... that you can that you can defeat with Flowey are ones that belong to a specific hero. Right. Anything, Anything outside of that now seems less easy to deal with. Well... Even then, like for example, a war beast's like a, a mumak, right? He's got the trample special rule. It is a special rule, 
which you mm. could say, okay, if Lois can use this ability to just turn that off. Nope, you can't. It has to literally say active or passive beside yeah. it. And I think people had been using that in the past, which made sense. It's a special rule. Yeah. And Floyd's yeah. ability says, I turn off all active and passive special rules. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's an active or passive. If it's a special rule, I can go and turn that off. And so now we're saying, no, you can't. So that is a big nerf to Floyd. Well, I mean, it's it's good because it's made it very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a Kazadim player, so I'm against it. Agreed, because that's one of the few um, mechanics that a Kazadim player had for like combating um that's one of the few utility characters that they had that could yeah. combat the sort of big heroes yeah. so they have no they have very little in the way of shenanigans and that was it that is, that is he yeah. is the master of shenanigans and we're like we're just yeah. gonna take away half of his shenanigans so yeah. it's definitely it definitely a hit to kazadoom i will say that um and there's two more in the army of the lord of the rings so we're gonna fly through this real quick uh, one, Rivendell, Master, uh, Elrond, Master of Rivendell, Foresight of the Eldar. Pretty much means he has to be on the table to use his Foresight of the Eldar. He can't be mm-hmm. in reserve. This is a nerf to the Vanquishers, because you can, and this is also a nerf to Rivendell, because any Maelstrom missions, you would almost always use the Foresight of the Eldar to reduce your role so that you went second, and it was a massive benefit. Massive, love it, and love we, it. And we even talked about, and we even talked about that in um, uh, the most recent episode. I think hold ground, do we not? We talked about that there, and we said if you've got Elrond, this is the mission to bring him. Well, no more. That's now gone, and so that nerfs Rivendell, which is a good army, and it nerfs the Vanquishers, which is also a good army. Again, we're mm-hmm. seeing some big, we're getting seeing some nerfs into the uh, um, into uh, the the good armies here. I mean, that makes perfect sense, though. I, I'm. I think that's a good rule. It's in line with a lot of the other rules that people have. Mm -hmm. You have to be on the table to to use it. Um, The last one is the Easterling Dragon Knight, Knights of the Dragon Cults. So essentially it's allowing the Easterling Dragon Knights to be able to lead um, a dragon cult acolytes, which again, we all figured they should be able to, right? Yeah. Um, This is a small buff to Easterlings, and I will say that straight up. Um, how significant? I'm not sure, but this mm-hmm. model is a minor hero, and he's one of the strongest heroes in that list. Like I've been looking over his profile, and I was like, "Dang, this is a really strong model for 65 points before mm-hmm. mount." Um, and to be able to have him lead acolytes as well as black dragon upgrades means you can take two or three of these guys and not be afraid to max out their warbands each time, and it won't impact your army. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seems to me like it's just giving a little bit more flexibility to that hero and mm-hmm. also that unit. Yeah, and, and this is going to make the Easterling army slightly stronger, and I guarantee you when that new book, uh, War in the North, comes out, they're going to get really powerful. Cool. Sounds sounds fine. Doesn't sound OP or anything. No, I don't think so. Uh, so we're going to dive into scenarios. All right? All right. So, uh, question. In scenarios where you score victory points for wounding a specific hero, if the hero model is wounded and then subsequently healed with the renew magic power, mm. do they count as being wounded for the purpose of victory points? And the answer Why is, would anybody be asking this question now? Oh, I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> the answer is yes, which we all kind of played it that way anyways. I mean, I think that yeah. was pretty much obvious. Uh, but it is a nerf uh, to the Vanquishers who didn't play it this way. Because you could just start bomb renew healing as well as um, Radagast special rule to, to like, touch people and heal them. It uh, doesn't matter. 
you still lost the wound. Yeah. Um, and it makes a big deal. I have drawn blood. There is no taking it back. Exactly. And it also matters for Lords of Battle, right? Um, yeah. So this is a buff to larger base size models. This next question. In scenarios where models can exit the board, do you need to move the entire base off the board or part of the base off or just touch the edge of the board? They will need to move part of their base off the board. Now, mm -hmm. why is this a big deal? Well, um, trying to get larger base models off uh, the table in missions, like Reconnoiter, Seize the Prize, I'm sure there's others I'm not thinking of, um, was slightly more challenging. I'm talking like Cav models, I'm talking like Crabane, I'm talking um, Fell Beasts, right? Uh, that's now changed, right? So uh, it, you know, they can now sort of like get a quarter of an inch off and boom, they're gone, right? Yep. Um, that's big because guess what? It makes Ring Race slightly better and Seize the Prize. In fact, it makes them really good and Seize the Prize. Uh, it makes um, a lot of the larger base models, which good armies have less of, evil armies have more of, i.e. Crabanes, um, i.e. monsters, flying fell beasts, mm -hmm. bat swarms, all these sorts of things now have a much easier time getting off the table um, in missions like Reconnoiter or... You know, if you grab the prize and seize the prize, football through it to a ring wraith on a fell beast, getting him off the table is not that difficult a task. Yeah, like it doesn't sound like much, but essentially it's saving you one turn in, let's say, a game that might last between eight and ten turns. So mm -hmm. one turn is actually huge in, yeah. you know. It's 10% or more than 10% That's right. of, of the game. So saving a turn is, is big. Exactly. No, 100% agree with you. Um, so yeah, it's a little buff, and again, buff towards evil. All right, so last question for the scenarios. In the Clash by Moonlight scenario, if models have been illuminated by an effect such as blinding light, can they be targeted by shooting attacks, um, magical powers, or special rules at distances greater than 12 inches? The answer is yes, though the shooting attacks will still gain the bonus of plus one when rolling to wound. Now, mm. so this rule was you can't target anything that's further than 12 inches away, mm -hmm. but you get plus one to wound with shooting attacks. That's so right. So now these models that are illuminated, can they be targeted from further than 12? Yes, they can. Yeah. Yeah. So they, uh, you actually do gain the bonus of plus one when rolling to wound, which makes sense because it's like if I'm standing there holding a lamp and I'm staring into the darkness and an arrow flies into my face. Yeah, that kind of makes sense to me that I'm going to... So, now this is actually a benefit. Now, this is a huge benefit to Gandalf the Grey. So, if you've brought Gandalf the Grey or, um, in, and, and a strong shooting army, has to be con um, attached to a strong shooting army, um, this is a big boom, and here's why. You rush Gandalf the Grey forward, can't see him because he's not within 12 inches. When he gets within range, 12-inch range of the enemy, he casts Blinding Light. Because blinding light gives off a 12-inch radius of illumination. It also makes him really hard to hit. And the reason why it's so big is because all of a sudden I've got Gandalf the Grey within 12 inches of your battle line, and I'm now going to start shooting at you from 24 inches away at plus one to wound. And you can't do nothing about it other than try to shoot Gandalf the Grey, who you need sixes to hit. That's a major pain in the butt. All right, so in Clash, um, we have a situation where uh, 
which is a fairly big buff for Gandalf the Grey, is that mm-hmm. um, if models have been illuminated by an effect such as blinding light, can they be targeted by shooting attacks, magical powers, or special rules at distances greater than 12 inches away? Yes, uh, those shooting attacks will still gain a bonus of plus one when rolling to wound. So that's huge if you're running Gandalf the Grey, uh, or even Gandalf the White, and a shooting army, or elements of shooting. Right. Because all you need to so do I is- guess the the potentially the sort of strange thing about the ruling is that it's it's now revoking the twelve inch maximum line of sight mm-hmm. because they're lit up so you can see them, mm-hmm. but it's not revoking the plus one to wound part. That's correct. So you can see them now, but you still get plus one to wound them. That's correct. That's right. Interesting. Very interesting answer. Yeah. So you can have your shooting elements sit 24 inches away from your enemy. And as long as your Gandalf is illuminating them, you can just shoot at the enemy and get plus one to wound. And they can't shoot back at you. They can only shoot at Gandalf, who needs sixes to hit. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's like run forward, Gandalf, and light up the enemy so we can pepper them with arrows and get plus one to wound. It's like the first instance of medieval tracer fire. <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of risky for Gandalf because, you know, it is you know, run forward into the enemy, but... Exactly, it is risky um, for for Gandalf. But Plus, if you're a good if you're a good army, it's like you can't shoot into the combat. Right, but you're well, trying to you're trying to dance around the 12, 10, 12 inch mark, right? And you're on a mount, so staying away from the enemy is um, uh, more doable, I would think. Right. Mm-hmm. Now it's interesting because because normally when you're shooting at something that's covered by blinding light you need sixes to hit mm-hmm. but if it's your own model that's causing the blinding light so you're saying that that need sixes to hit no longer applies or does it no so the radius to blinding light the the sixes to hit piece is only six inches right oh the illumination effect is 12 inch radius so there's a six inch gap between when the blinding light ends and the light keeps going, that right. you can shoot guys in that range and get plus so one. So now there'll be like a whole bunch of models mm-hmm. that are lit up, but mm-hmm. not within the protected part of the blinding light. That's correct. Oh, that's crazy. Now, yeah. if 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 Gandalf is in front of like a bunch of orcs, let's say, mm-hmm. and you know a whole pile of them are lit up within 12 inches, and I'm on the opposite side of Gandalf, so mm-hmm. I'm shooting through his blinding light at somebody that's not in the blinding light. Mm-hmm. What do I need to hit? It does your, the your normal to hit roll. The blinding light doesn't apply. Yeah, it doesn't. It's like a dome that is yeah. transparent, apparently. I, I'm shooting over top of the blinding It literally is. It's true. It just says only models within six inches of it benefit from the blinding light. It doesn't right. say shooting through the blinding light uh, to hit models behind it benefit. And it was actually oh, that's, one of... That's a crazy situation. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it can create a really powerful situation where your opponent's like, oh, I'm going to play cat and mouse with you. And I'm like, no, you're not. Uh, and you know what? Great model is to, to sort of couple with that. The Avenger Bolt Thrower means it's killing uh, defense seven models on threes. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So let's push on. Uh, and let's, um, 
Let's move on to an interesting small buff uh, in the rules book, which says if a model that must charge due to a special rule is affected by the command compel magic power, is it still required to charge during the move if able? And the answer is yes. And why I say this is an interesting change is because models like Dane or Theodrid or Bard after he loses a daughter or one of the twins after they lose their friend, their brother, um, get slightly better against casters. And I'm saying this because but you, there are such, uh, certain circumstances where you can like compel one of those models and push them out of the way so that they're nowhere even near combat, right? But now it's if I get Dane or Theodred or any of these other models I discussed close enough that even if they compel me, I have to charge into combat. Mm -hmm. That's not always a bad situation for Dane or Theodred to be in because it forces my opponent, it limits my opponent's ability to move me. They can always transfix me and just lock me in place. But if they decide to compel me and move me, it has to be towards uh, an enemy model, um, in which case they really have to set up a trap situation um, prior to compelling me. And that may not always be available to them. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not fully understanding this one, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, so, so let me just read it. If a model that must charge, like, mm -hmm. for example, Dane, mm -hmm. due to a special rule, is affected by the command slash compel magical power, is it still required to charge during the move phase if able? So, like, if in the evil turn they command or compel that person mm -hmm. to a certain spot on the board mm -hmm. and then it becomes Dane's turn is he still required to charge during his turn no so what it means is that is, what it's asking no so what it means is normally when you can command or compel something you're like I'm now going to move you half your move right oh but you can't do anything for the rest of your turn isn't it right and oh okay and okay so what it means Sorry, is, it takes me a little while to, to catch up. That's okay. Um, <laughs> so what it means is well, normally when I command or compel a model, I can choose the direction it moves in. But if you must charge, even if I command or compel you, you must charge, right? So I can't control that. Um, so if I compel you and you're right up against my line, you have to charge my army. Right, you, I can't mm -hmm. compel you four inches to the right, which then gives me the perfect trap situation. I would say four inches because right. we're talking about Dane on a pig. Um, I can't do that anymore. So that means I have to create the trap situation before I charge you or before I compel you. And that's really not as, it's, there's not a lot of opportunities to do that. And so I would say that this is a bit of a buff actually to those models who uh, must charge if they're able to. Yeah, this one this one's hard for me to get my head around, but essentially it's saying that the rule that makes you charge takes precedented over the part of the command or compel that says you can do nothing for the rest of your turn. No, it's it takes precedent over your <laughs> no. opponent being able to move you in any direction they want. Okay. So when I compel you, I can move you half your distance in any direction I want. This is saying if I compel you, I don't get to do that anymore. You must charge. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. Now, now, I can choose which model you charge, but you must charge. Yeah, it definitely helps the models that must charge because yeah. you can't just command the compel them 
in an in the opposite direction that they want to go bingo yeah they must charge so it is definitely not a um it is definitely a buff how significant um fairly big one actually for um good armies that have these types of models because expect rates to be quite prevalent in new edition yeah and uh, new meta who is gonna remember all of this oh my god yeah i probably won't you will uh, yeah, get out of here uh okay next one can a prone model cast magical powers real short the answer is no and this is a nerf to vanquishers not a significant one but it is a nerf yeah, for sure. Because if you can find a way to, ner- to knock them prone, like a monster with hurl, uh, or sorcerers blasting them, um, then well, nothing works when you're prone. Banners don't work. You can't shoot that's when right. you're prone. I believe. Yeah, that's right. Uh, nothing. So yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is an interesting one because they talked about set ablaze always working um, and not counting as magical power and whatnot. So if a mm-hmm. model is wounded by the ongoing strength five hits from set ablaze, is that model caused? Is the model that caused them to be set ablaze considered to have done these wounds? For example, if Saruman casted heroically channel flame burst on a model and it started taking wounds from set ablaze, is Saruman yeah. counted as being the guy who did it? And the answer is yes. Now, this is a minuscule buff to Saruman for Contest of Champions. Because it means I can cast Flame Burst on a hero. uh, And if the Flame Burst kills the model, Saruman counts as getting the kill. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Honestly, this could have gone either way, yes or no. And I think there would be an argument for Mm -hmm. it. I think you'll see uh, a bigger reason for this being for the Balrog, I guess. Because he can cause a set of blades if he rolls a six wound. Okay, can a model with the swift movement special rule charge an enemy model so that it finishes its movement attached to a wall or at an angle to allow other models to move underneath of it? And thankfully, the answer is no. My God, I've seen this happen uh, a fair number of times where someone will move a spider over top of something and then angle it and be like, that's good enough because they have the swift movement special rule. Uh, The answer now is, you know, you have to be flat on the floor. (laughs) Yeah. A degree of common sense is needed when using models with the swift movement special rule whilst they can move over terrain at strange angles and positions that other models cannot they must finish in a reasonable position where their base is as close to flat as possible on the playing surface wow yeah because people take a big advantage with with that rule uh, i remember sure. i remember watching you play a doubles game way back in our first time we went to nova and your opponent had a shelob and like it was like 90 percent angled against a wall yeah. and he's yeah. like that counts mm-hmm. i charged this guy down the wall and i'm like are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah interesting 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 um Nerf to spiders. Nerf to spiders inbound, that's right. And it's actually a nerf to the spider queen, which isn't a bad thing, right? Because she's the biggest spider and that would use it and the most prevalent mm-hmm. one these days. Next, we have a question about light objects. So the question is, when a model drops a light object, where is it placed? Page 109 is the reference. Answer, when a model drops a light object, it is placed in base contact with the model that dropped it. It must be placed so that it is not overlapping another model's base. Okay, so to me, I don't know, is this a big deal? Like, is this more of a clarification? 
Why, why is this noteworthy? Why is this noteworthy? Good question. Um, I'm thinking immediately thinking seize the prize, right? There are moments where you want to get the model to drop uh, an object, right? So before you right. could have them drop the object directly underneath of themselves. And all of a sudden you now have to kill them to get them or, or win the fight to get them to move off of the object. Mm. Whereas now I can see instances where you'd compel the model, have them drop the object in a position where your army essentially can snatch it up uh, after you've engaged that model and taken away its control zone, mm -hmm. further giving strength to uh, spellcasters. It's kind of like they're saying, almost saying that a light object effectively has its own base. They're not really saying that, but mm -hmm. it's kind of like effectively they're saying that because now the base has to be independent of any other model. It can't be on top of or underneath another model's base. Mm -hmm. It has to be, have its own, you know, piece of board to put it on. Mm -hmm. It does bring a very interesting question to the table though. Um, and that is defending against someone compelling you to drop a light object, right? Because there's the double-sided the double sword here. In that if the question says it must be placed in, in base contact with the model that dropped it and it can't be overlapping another model's base, there are opportunities where you could take your, your hero or your individual that has the object, charge into combat, and then sort of like wrap models around you and all of a sudden they can't compel you to drop the object or um, just surround your, your model that is holding the object with other models, right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden you can't drop the object because I can't drop it so it's not in base contact with me. So it's both an offense and a defensive measure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's complicated because like what like physically what represents a light object in the game is it a whatever counter that you're using mm -hmm. does does that physically now become like when when you pick up a light object if, if you have it represented as a counter on the board mm -hmm. well you remove that counter it's no longer on the table because the right. person is holding the light object mm -hmm. but when you force them to drop it does it become that counter again and therefore you must have that amount of space available adjacent to the model in order to put that counter on on the table yeah and i mean it, it all depends upon the size of the counter right and again pulling back to the jank suggesting the biggest possible counter um, is a surefire way to have your object not get dropped by the model that's holding it, right? Like, like we use poker yeah. chips a lot of the time. Um, and so if you suggest, oh, we'll just use a poker chip. Okay, cool. And then I pick it up and all of a sudden it's like, I'm going to make you drop it. And I'm like, no, it doesn't fit anywhere. Sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know. At the rules of getting really rulesy about it, they probably should have gone one step further here mm -hmm. and just said that, you know, use a 25 millimeter diameter base to represent the light object. And then you wouldn't have any of these questions. Well, I, I think that, that sort of to your point um, about of all sort of uh, like uh, interactable things that are on the table, like and I'm talking like um, within six inches of this objective, they, they talk about a lot mm -hmm. of objectives and they always talk about the objective, but they don't actually talk define the objective. Um, and again, your, your point here about light objects and this applies to every mission um, that has objects uh, that are like defendable 
like how do you define that? Is it a point? Some some missions say it's a point in a place. Yeah. Others yeah. say it's an object. And like really, GW should be specifying anytime we reference object, it is a thing that is X um, amount of um, you know inches or centimeters wide uh, and X amount of inches and centimeters high. Period. Yeah, I don't know. Like. <laughs> To me, it's it's great that there's a clarification, but you, you need to take the answer one step forward because yeah. in most cases, an answer is just going to create new questions. So, like to me, if you're going to answer a question and say something which is probably new, like basically, you must put the light object down on the table. It can't be under a base, can't be on top of a base. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever. It, it's that's now going to ask new questions. So why don't you just think of what those questions are and and give a really complete answer? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the, the, the immediate question yeah. that came from me is, what happens if you can't put it down? Do you just not? Yeah, drop does it? the guy keep it? Yeah, I I, I would assume so. And I mean, if your goal here is to stop those instances where um, he can drop and put it below himself so that he's protecting the object, and your goal is to say, no, we're no longer allowing that. Well, what you're doing here with this question is you're making it now worse because in a mission like Seize the Prize, where if I'm not holding on to the object, but I have more models yeah. around it, I think I get like three victory points. But if I'm holding the object, I get like five. And all of a sudden it's like, you're now setting it up so that if I get the object, I'm now getting five VPs if I've got a spellcaster on the other side because they can't compel me to drop it. You know yeah, I, mean? I, I don't know. I feel like I'm being a little bit pedantic here. No, but, I don't think you are. You know, like I, I, I don't live and breathe by these FAQs, but I know a lot of uh, other people do, especially the competitive people. For me, this type of thing is you just decide how it's going to be played with your opponent. Um, but I mean, if you're going to have an FAQ, mm -hmm. let's do a thorough answer. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I think this just needed an extra sentence on the end saying yeah. if they can't drop it, they don't drop it. Done. Clarified. Thank you. You know, and then there should have been, how do you define an object? And then answer, it's one inch diameter object or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like something. Um, no, I agree. Anyways, so yeah, no, I think this will open up a lot of challenging things. So, But for anyone who plays Seize the Prize, be very aware of this because it does change the dynamic. Um, if you're playing against spellcasters, okay, or even just in any other situation. So, next question is, if a model with the monstrous charge special rule charges into difficult terrain, will they still get the knock to the ground and extra attack bonuses? Yes. The answer is yes, unless they have the cavalry keyword, in which case the rules for cavalry will mean they do not get these bonuses. So, Don, can you think of anything, any monsters that would gain this, that get a buff from this? Well, uh, I'm not even at that part yet because I don't even understand the situation. Um, okay, the question is self-explanatory. Mm -hmm. um, yes is the answer mm -hmm. to me, which is not a surprise. Mm -hmm. the, but then I don't understand why is it unless they have the cavalry keyword. So why the, why is that? So the cavalry keyword, um, there's special rules for cavalry saying that if you, cavalry charges through difficult terrain they lose their extra attack and knock the ground rules. Right? Oh, okay, that's just, yeah, okay. that's in the main rules. Uh, they also move only a quarter through difficult terrain, not half. Uh, yeah. And that's... Um, I knew that part. I didn't mm -hmm. know they lose their bonus in difficult ground. Yeah, so, they, so what happens is they, they lose their bonus to attack, 
for the extra attack. They lose a bonus for the knocked ground to the ground, but they don't actually lose a bonus if they have things like lances. For some reason, they still keep that. I don't mm-hmm. ever get that. But anyways. Okay, so this this is probably not a surprise for models that have the cavalry keyword that mm-hmm. also are monstrous charge. Yeah. Um, but it is a, a bonus for uh, monstrous charging creatures that are not cavalry, mm-hmm. um, which would be like your giant uh, spider queen or shelob type models, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gulivar, and yeah. I'm sure there's lots of other ones. I mean, I think of any any of the Moria monsters I'm thinking of, like the Cave Drake, um, and I think the Dragon also gets it. And mm-hmm. and people think, well, Gulivar has wings. Yeah, but Gulivar also has a six-inch move, and that's for f- walking on, on the ground. So he could still charge three inches into difficult terrain, because he does suffer the effects of difficult terrain. But for some yeah. reason, he, that's still three inches is enough to give him the knock to the ground. <laughs> So, yeah, well, as long as you can charge, you still don't change your mass or, or exactly. whatever. So. So, that, so that's a buff for Angmar right there, and a buff for Moria. Uh, how substantial? I would say fairly substantial, because both of those armies rely fairly heavily on monsters. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Don, let's get, on to the, let's get on to the bread and butter. Let's get on to the bread and butter. The big, the big <laughs> nerfs, the big nerfs. Here we go. And I'm talking okay. about the Vanquisher nerfs. Yeah. So we'll go into the one that um, I pretty much called, and mm-hmm. that is friendly models may still attempt to cast magical powers even if they are already engaged in combat, with the exception of the Sorcerer's Blast, Wrath of Bruinen, and Nature's Wrath magical powers. Okay. So that's big, but I figured that would be the solution. Wrath, uh, nerf Nature's Wrath, Nerf Wrath of Bruinen. Okay, hold on, hold on. Slow down a second here. Okay, what's up? What's up? <laughs> okay, I have to read this again. Models may still attempt to cast magical powers even if they are already engaged in combat. Mm-hmm. With the exception, okay, so that was a, a new rule introduced in the Vanquishers list that That's they can correct. cast magic even if they're in combat. But now they're now they're throwing an exception here. That's correct. Yeah. The, these spells are the exception. These three spells: Sorcerer's right. Blast, Wrath of Bruinen, and Nature's Wrath. Okay, I get it. I get mm-hmm. it. So yeah, that that's that's a big nerf to that list. I think honestly, them being able to do those three spells in combat was mm-hmm. pretty much the unfun factor. Because well, yeah, yeah, you never could hurt them because they'd always knock you prone. Well, yeah, it's 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 the it's the, <laughs> it's the army list that you fight on your butt for the entire game. Yeah, you know because you can't get into a combat with them and not be knocked prone. Exactly. Or at least it's pretty hard for to avoid that. Exactly. Previously. And so now it's no matter whether you go first or they go first, you know, factoring in heroic combats, heroic moves and all that stuff, you always have the opportunity to damage them in combat. Because mm-hmm. if they go first, they move up, they cast their, their their knockdown abilities, it goes off, they charge into combat with the models they want. Um, your models that were knocked down can still stand up and support. Uh, and then other models can charge in and get into combat. Or, you know what, because they have no control zones, you just wrap around 
the Vanquisher models and you just create traps you know, with whoever's mm-hmm. in combat. And so you create these situations where even if you don't have the actual um, the actual priority, because um, you lost the heroic move off or whatever, uh, you still can do damage with the infantry. And then if you win the heroic move off, well, you charge in with your hero who's got the higher fight value. You charge yeah. in with as much as possible and they're not knocking you down. And that's a huge, um, it's a really bad situation for the Vanquisher's army to be in. So can I ask, mm-hmm. um, well, two questions. First of all, are we still going to do an episode on the Vanquishers? We are. So um, the original... I guess it's just kind of changed now. Yes. The nature of our... Our attention. Yeah. So instead of the the episode being about are the Vanquishers unbeatable, it's switching to are the Vanquishers still playable? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> the these two nerfs in true GW format, where one nerf is sufficient, they do four. Yeah. It's well, just, okay. My second question. Yeah. So it, it's it specifies these spells: Sorcerer's Blast, mm-hmm. Wrath of Bruinen and nature's wrath um what models in the vanquishers list can cast these spells so the gandalf and saruman can cast sorcerer's blast mm-hmm. um radagast and elrond can cast wrath of bruin and, and nature's wrath okay yeah okay so that was four different models i think you said there mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay so, that's pretty serious it's a pretty serious nerf, but you know what? If this on its own was the only nerf done to them, they'd be actually in a really good spot because the unfun factor is gone, right? I mean, it's now... Well, and, and it doesn't mean, like, you could have one, like, for example, Sorcerer's Blast. You could have Gandalf in combat and therefore not able to cast it, mm-hmm. but Saruman may not be in combat and therefore be able to cast it. And exactly. same is true with the other spells. Exactly. And then the other piece is that even if the wizards are in combat, they can still cast things like Transfix, Compel, mm-hmm. um, and any other sort of spells that don't aren't that aren't Sorcerer's Blast, Wrath of Bruin, and Nature's Wrath. Um, yeah. So they still can lock down enemy heroes, and it, and it just becomes an infantry game, right? Like it, getting your infantry into combat with them is like the most important thing, right? Uh, and so this is a this I felt this was sufficient as an equalizing nerf. Well, I, I'm thinking of more reaction to this, but can we read the other part of this? Yeah, so this is the other nerf is the one I felt was excessive. It wasn't needed because it, it honestly, okay. there's no fluff justification for this based upon their requirements to have models in the army. And right. that is... Um, additional rules. Change the first bullet of the Vanquishers of the Necromancer Legendary Legion section to read The Vanquishers of the Necromancer must always include Galadriel, Lady of Light, Gandalf the Grey, and Saruman. Saruman is always the army's leader. So, mm. this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So, the optional models that are not required would be Radagast and Elrond? And Elrond? Yep. Right, so okay. the reason why I feel like this is a list or this is an, a nerf that doesn't make a whole lot of sense is because the justification for it is Gandalf the Grey was there at the beginning. Therefore, he must be in the list. Cool. That makes sense to me. So mm-hmm. what's your justification for requiring Galadriel and Saruman? 
Is it because Galadriel whoops the necromancer's butt? Cool. But then what's your justification for requiring Saruman? Because, you know what I mean? Like, there's no justification for requiring either of those models over Radagast or Elrond. Because Radagast, all of them were at this pivotal battle. You know what I mean? So requiring yeah. three models to be there in this specific light, I'm like, it's kind of stupid. Like, it should have been Gandalf the Grey is a must. Okay, that's the only requirement. And if Saruman is in your army, he is your army leader. Okay, that makes sense. That should have been the change. You know what I mean? So that mm-hmm. Gandalf is, oh, you pay, you pay the Gandalf tax. Cool. But that means you can choose other models to put in as you see fit. But this whole, like, oh, well, Gandalf was there, for therefore Gandalf should be, you know, required. Yeah, but so are the other four. What's, what's your justification for why they're not mandatory? You know what I mean? Well, I guess this does establish, like, a minimum point value that you can play this. I'm not sure before if there was a minimum number of models that you had to have in this list in order to play this list. So the minimum um, was Galadriel and Saruman the White. The reason okay. why this is a crippling, a crippling nerf is because Gandalf was the model that was never taken. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think Gandalf is is the model that is probably <laughs> the, the least uh, or the most expendable out of mm-hmm. those because I think, unless I'm wrong, everything that he offers is already brought to the table by the other models. He adds versatility all of the other models bring stronger like um specific elements but he offers like a broad spectrum everyone's Mm -hmm. like no elrond is the smashy one radagast um is the demounter and and knockdowner um and then saruman is the master of magic essentially and galadriel just is the buffer whereas gandalf does a little of that and so he's always taken last and so their justification is, no, he was there first. He should be first. Totally understand that. But then you really should be dropping Galadriel and Saruman the White as mandatory. You know what I mean? Yeah, to me now, I, I like, I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a guy that would play this list really anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's far too complicated for me. Um, but I... I to me is this would you ever even play this now unless you were playing it with all five of them the challenge becomes like if you played all five of them this army is actually not that badly nerfed okay and that means you're playing them at 800 850 points because 800 points Radagast isn't taking his sleigh 850 he's got his sleigh okay so at 800 plus this army is this army is fine Right, this nerf is, is nothing. Yeah, well, this nerf doesn't become a thing if you mm-hmm. have them all, so... Yeah, so the challenge really becomes who is your fourth. And that's a big problem because um, four wizards, <laughs> four models... You want, bo- you want both of the other guys. <laughs> you want both of the other guys for different reasons. And so yeah. um, the challenge is if... like So four models is 650, right? 650 points is four models, um, give or take, right? And so most tournaments run between six and 800 points. So you can run generally, you know, four models in that sort of range. Um, but the challenge is I, you take Elrond. Elrond brings you your banner, right? That three-inch mm-hmm. banner is really important for wizards. It, getting that fourth dice in a dual roll makes all yeah. the difference, okay? Elrond also brings Gift of the Foresight, 
which is really important now that you need to win heroic moves off. <laughs> you really <laughs> need to win priority. Uh, and it's especially effective at late game when people have no might, right? Um, Elrond also is one of the few models where you're okay burning his might on heroic moves, right? Because he also has free heroic strikes, so he can always defend himself against heroes, whereas before, or as now, if a hero is able to charge in against Saruman and not get transfixed, Saruman's go-to heroic is defense, as is Radagast's go-to heroic, right? So all of a sudden, the other wizard's might has to be used for other purposes. Yeah. And so Elrond is so critical. Also, Elrond has Nature's Wrath, so Wrath of Brunin, but he's mm -hmm. only got three will to cast it. Okay, so that's okay, what... Okay, I have a question. Yes. I have a question. Mm -hmm. yeah. So nothing changed in regards to this, but... Can you clarify this rule? And that yes. is something along the lines of wizards get an increased number of attacks. I believe it's equivalent to their wound profile. That's correct. Is that correct? Yep. So, so that remains the same, right? That does, yes. And, and in the original rules, and I guess it hasn't changed, is that always the case? Or if they cast a spell, does that get reduced? No, or always it's the always case. the case? Always the case. Okay. Which is why... Elrond's banner was so important because then you'd have four dice in a dual roll instead of three. And we all know more dice is better than less. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. so, well, to me, my, my reaction to this is, and, and this is very obvious, but I think it's worth saying, and that is previously, because you were like knocking your opponents on their butts 90% of the time, mm -hmm. you were never... Real, there was never really that much danger to dying in combat mm -hmm. because you, if you're on if you're prone and you win a combat you can't land strikes so it doesn't matter if you've trapped a wizard mm -hmm. and you win the combat let's say mm -hmm. it's like okay well great you can't land blows but you can stand up so wizard is unharmed exactly where whereas now that's no longer the case yeah. so if if a wizard loses a combat well he can die so oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's very it's 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 very obvious, but it's it's devastating to the list, I would think, because now you know you're you're still going to be able to play tricks and and avoid these traps and all of that. But if they happen, you can lose a wizard like instantaneously. Oh yeah, I mean their their defense is five, Elrond's seven. Congrats. The Galadriel's is three. So like infantry can very much hurt them and hurt them fast. And the idea of like like most heroes, you can be like, oh, I'll just take the wounds till my wound value goes to one and then I've still got my three fate, no biggie. You can't mm -hmm. do that with wizards because if you do that, then all of a sudden you lose attacks, right? And then yeah. you're, you're gonna die faster because you can't win fights. So yeah. the, to coming back to the Elrond Radagast situation, so you're stuck with this really hard fourth choice. And that is, do you go with Elrond with the gift of the foresight, the might that can be burned on heroic moves, the free heroic strikes that he can actually go toe-to-toe -to -toe with heroes, um, the elven blade, which is an important thing, uh, and essentially the wrath, or do you go with Radagast, who has all of the healing, right, because he has renew, he has the special ability where if he touches another model, he rolls a dice, and on a four plus, they gain some wounds back. Um, yeah. Do you go with the Slay, right? Because it has five attacks on the charge, or five dice on the charge. Um, and do you go with permanent Nature's Wrath, right? Because you can always cast it because of his free dice from his, his, his staff, right? So you get that longevity for the knockdown. And all of a sudden, you're stuck with this really hard choice for fourth. And mm -hmm. so 
If you go with the Radagast option, well, you only have one, you have two heroic strikers, but you're burning might to call those heroic strikes. And neither of them are really models you want to be going up against a defense seven, defense eight model, right? Defense hero. They just don't do the damage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you go with Elrond, you have almost no healing, right? Because almost all your wills can be used on Nature's Ra- or on Wrath of Brunin. On top of that, you are seeding board control for the early game, because the start of the, you're starting like four or five turns, three to four turns for this army with Elrond in it, is Gandalf cast strength and will on Elrond just constantly mm-hmm. to give him enough will so that he can do Nature's Wrath for sort of Wrath of Brunin five or six times. You know what I mean? Um, so yep. it, it's this is the nerf that takes them well below a top tier list. It, it, it is like this. Yeah. This is the change that does it. It's the nail in the coffin to this army. I think, you know, we, we're going to do an episode on this. I was going to say we could talk a lot about this. Yeah. But then we're just talking about the, the Vanquishers list, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there's there's well, a lot to say here. Yeah. So, anyways, to say that this is this change to re- require Gandalf to be in here, but also requiring Galadriel and Saruman the White, is pretty mm-hmm. much the nail in the coffin of making this a top-tier list. It's not even close anymore. I mean... No, uh, like, I, yeah. you know, I don't know what the three of them are worth, what, 500 points or something in around that number. It um, is 500, bang on. Yeah, like, how can you win a, a game with three models? Yeah, at 500? No, like a low-value <laughs> tournament, this is not going to do anything. I, I mean, you, you can't be reduced to 25%, so you have that going for you. Um, but other than that... <laughs> yep, I mean, and those three models are, two of them are defense five and one's defense three. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And none of them have March. Don't forget that. None of them have March. Yeah. So anyways, moving on. So this is this was the second nerf. The other two nerfs to this list were you can't cast oh, while you're more. prone. Oh, I mean, that geez. came from before, but just to sort of a mm-hmm. quick recap. You can't cast while you're prone, right? That was a nerf to them. And Elrond's gift of foresight can't be used when he's not on the table. So all of a sudden, mm-hmm. Maelstrom missions are problematic for this list, right? Uh, because sure. you might roll... You might go first in a Maelstrom mission, which means your opponent has a chance of surrounding you, blocking you off, and then racing to the center of the board and slowly feeding their models into you, grinding to death while they're standing on the middle of the, the objective. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the quad nerf to this list that, you know, GW, I don't know if they're thinking it, but you've pretty much killed this list as a top tier. So, anyways. Even, even if it's with all five guys? With all five guys... Um, so I would say sub 845 because right, you really want to say all five heroes because they're not heroes. all guys yeah, but, yeah. Um, sub 845 or sub 800 points it's it's a no good list like I think it's it'll, it'll, it's a list that'll struggle okay mm-hmm. do I say it's rubbish no I don't think so I'm going to be playing this list to make sure to see if it is but um, do I think it's a rubbish list no do I think it's top tier no um, it's above 845 or at between the 800 845 we've got all five heroes do I think it's rubbish? No, I think it's probably tuned to where it should be, um, and I think it'll win le- a lot less games than it did before. Um, I think it's r- probably I wouldn't say right where it should be. It's probably slightly lower than where it should be, but I think it's 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 going to be a fun experience now playing against this list. Is what I'll say. Yeah, I think I think at the bottom line is that they've really removed the horrible to play against uh, yeah. factor. Can I? 100% agree. 100% agree. Yeah. Uh, so 
Let's do the TLDL, the too long, didn't listen. What's the big impact on the meta based on all these things we've talked about? Um, and to me, at a very high level, I think good took a huge nerf. It took a big smack in the face right across the board. And I think that's sort of a combination of many things here. Like there's no Galadriel Lady of Light in most Yellow Alliances. In fact, all Yellow Alliances, unless you're talking exceedingly high point values, like, like 800 to 1,000. Um, I think, and even the Galadriel Lady of Light with Rivendell, and eh, Rivendell isn't that great to begin with. Uh, it's not like leagues better with Galadriel, so it's not gonna be well to uh, taken all the time. So that is a big hit to them. Uh, Ents took a, a, a multi-smash to the face against Magic, which is not what they wanted. Uh, dwarves, such namely Kaza Doom, um, took a hit with Floy, like their big utility trick, uh, in that it, it no longer affects um, uh, Legendary Legion special rules, right? No longer affects any special rule unless it says passive or active. I think that's a big nerf to him. Now, dwarf players may or may not use him, but still, that's no longer a tool in your toolkit that you can lean to and always get sort of value from. Um, again, Rivendell with Elrond and the, the foresight of the Eldar nerf, that was a big hit. And so, they have all these, these hits to good, right? And then, of course, there's the Vanquisher hits we just talked about. And then we're jumping to the evil side. Well, what did, what did evil get? Well, evil got the ability to shoot without blinding light being so bloody prevalent anymore, right? I mean, you've got stuff like Galadriel Light's no longer around in, in big numbers. Kyrdan, he's no longer around in yellow alliance lists. And so it's like people can either spend big points for Gandalf the Grey uh, or Galadriel of Lothlorien, but they're, that's a big trade-off, you know what I mean? So shooting back on the table in a big way, and who has the best, who has some of the best shooting armies in the game? Evil. You've got Harad, you've got Corsairs, you've got Isengard of all flavors. Um, like there's like three or four legendary legions within Isengard that are very strong for shooting. And so, yeah. yeah, you've got a strong shooting element. Guess what's also back on the table? Magic. Fortify Spirit is not going to be in abundance anymore, which means armies like Moria, sorry, Mordor for Ring Rays, armies like Angmar, are gonna be big again. Okay, cool. Uh, we just talked about um, the uh, the monsters charging into difficult terrain and still getting their, their benefits. Well, guess who benefits from that? Moria, Angmar. Okay, we also, you know, haven't we talked about? We haven't talked about the Easterlings. Well, don't worry. The Dragon Knights also got upgraded so that, or uh, buffed, so that they can bring along the Dragon Cult Acolytes. So that's a buff. So almost, almost most of the Lord of the Ring era um, armies for evil got a big buff for this. So I would say evil took a huge swing back up. Now, I think this is what they needed. I'll be honest. I think good was dominating yeah. the, the, the meta. Uh, significantly? No, probably not. But I think good was dominating the meta sufficiently that evil had to come with some really outside the box ideas to do well. And now they don't need to have to try as hard. And a lot of the pure lists for evil can do very well. And so I, I honestly think this was a rebalancing of the, of the meta, where I think you'll start seeing equal representation at top tables with both good and evil armies. Do I think that big heroes for good are going to be gone? Mm, if we see the prevalence of two or three spellcasters fairly common at top tables, I don't think you'll see big heroes anymore, uh, unless they're um, well, uh, a one thing I'll just, or an I'll just throw something in there, mm -hmm. and that is that what's the heroic, the new heroic that you can 
do that uh, makes other people around you have resistance? Yeah. Never used to be used. Yep. Never. Right? Is it going to be used more now because of this? And oh, that's yeah. a, a question I'm asking you. Uh, I think it will. I think, I think if you start seeing the meta start to pile on a lot more double, triple casters, I can see you bringing, if you want to have insurance on a hero, having some sort of secondary buff hero with heroic resolve is, a, is not a bad idea, right? Because if the Vanquishers hadn't been nerfed, that is literally one of the only tactics you could use. You'd have like, Evil would bring the, the Witch King, he would just run up, he would just cast heroic, or use heroic resolve, use his massive might pool to soak up the, 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 the wraths, and then you charge your infantry and heroes. And that was kind of what the solution was for Evil. Well, now it's, what's the solution for dealing with three wraiths? Well, heroic resolve could work, but fortify spirit and the double dice, and the, or the double dice plus one, being free was really the hindrance. Was magic resistance a hindrance to to evil armies? Eh, not really. The the occasional roll that like clipped you for one of your spells sucked. But if you have two or three wraiths, it's not the end of the world. Um, mm -hmm. But I think heroic resolve used in proper ways absolutely will be critical. And I see it being uh, a tool that people will pick up and put in their good toolkit. Evil doesn't really need it. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know how long ago, um, what's that elf's name? Is it Kirdan? Yeah. Um, I don't know how long ago the FAQ was that nerfed him. Like, uh, I, I think it was a similar nerf. It, it mm. took him down in his uh, status, yeah, da down to minor hero, yeah. Um, but it's the same kind of thing as, like, they're identifying individual models out there that are having too big an impact on the meta, like more, far more than was intended. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, first we saw that guy get nerfed and, and now we've seen Lady Light get nerfed. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question and mm -hmm. this isn't anything to do with the, with the FAQ. So mm -hmm. like, are you, are we done with our FAQ? I think so. Coverage? I think, yeah, we, we've talked about how the good or evil is going to, you're going to see a lot more of it. You're going to see probably less big heroes if the meta switches heavily to, to magic. Uh, and yeah, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I'm curious to see the impact for sure. But here's my question. Mm -hmm. um, so way back when they released the scouring of the Shire book. Mm -hmm. Okay. A comment was made by the designers at the time that said, I wrote this book in two weeks. Mm. And right away... I'm like, okay, I've always thought for the last while that they aren't playtesting the stuff in these books enough. And I know it's hard. It's hard. They have limited resources. So, you know what? I love the fact that we're getting new books and content. Great. But mm -hmm. that comment made me think, okay, there it is. If you're writing a book in two weeks, you're not playtesting it enough. Okay, granted, it's Scouring of the Shire. A lot of the stuff in that book... Um, is sort of recycled stuff like mm -hmm. certainly there's a lot of new heroes in there but since then we've had two releases um and i'm not sure if these releases were back to back but first we had the one with the rangers of athelion in 
Mm-hmm. Okay. It was released, and there was a hue, hue and cry across the land about the list. Mm-hmm. And then, sure enough, the next FAQ comes out, and it receives a substantial nerf. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now the same thing has happened here, and I, I believe there were four legendary legions in the Necromancer book. And I think this is the only legion, the Vanquishers, that received a nerf, like post-release. Mm-hmm. So it's only one of the lists. So, you know... No, not a big deal, but still, like, the list comes out, again, hue and cry across the land, um, FAQ, major nerf mm-hmm. to the list. Mm-hmm. So, is it just me, or is it's like, is this not just saying that, like, these lists are not being playtested enough? I think the challenge isn't so much that they've been playtested enough. The challenge is who's playtesting them. The rules writer for Games Workshop, the lead one, is probably one of the best players in the game worldwide. I think. Fair point. But saying he's among the best is a fair statement. The secondary rules writer, uh, Dan Entwistle, is also a very strong player. So when they write the rules, they're writing the rules from the perspective of exceptionally skilled players playing these armies to their nth degree. So they can read the weaknesses, they can figure out the strategies, they can win the games. But the vast majority of people who play this game aren't anywhere near that level, right? So when you give someone the Vanquishers list, and I played against you guys, well, I played against just people in the in, in the in the league, uh, and I started doing exceedingly well. There would be cries for for nerfing, and I'm like, "Did you did you guys did anyone anyone here make the effort to try to figure out the list, to 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 figure out the tricks to beat it?" The answer is no. I didn't want to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's also a mentality thing, which is a combination of the rules writers plus the people playing the game. Is that I, I find that people were like, there were a lot less comments regarding how do we beat this list? Let's community, let's come up with a community with solutions, and more about this isn't fair. I don't want to have to change my way of thinking, and it should get nerfed. Okay, so you've made no effort. Couple that with the rules writers who are writing this, who are exceptionally skilled, writing a list that they could beat with the armies that they play, but other people couldn't. Right? And all of a sudden there's like a, a perception issue. And that's the people writing the game versus the people playing the game are on two levels in, in both mindset and skill. Yeah. And that doesn't work because you really need to give these rules to a <laughs> wide breadth of people yeah. to play so that the people that are sort of the mid-tier level are like, yo, these are ridiculous rules. How the heck do we win? And it's like, instead of releasing the rules as is, they could say, you know what, let's release the rules and do a Warhammer community article on how do you beat the Vanquishers of the Necromancer. Post an article about, hey, I hear you I hear you all talking about how the Vanquishers are really hard to beat. Don't worry. Here's an article on how you can beat them. Because if you're not going to post that saying, hey, I'm going to distill my wisdom from on high on how everyone can beat this army, then what you're doing is you're saying, here's a book. If you suck at playing the game, that's your problem. 
that's not the solution. You know what I mean? I mean, like case in point with like you and for I. For me, let me let me jump in here. Like yeah, for yeah. me, the the vanquishers list. Like I know my limitations as a player, right? And and it also goes to like what do I like about the game? What do I not like about the game? And this kind of list, as a player, I wouldn't touch this with a ten foot pole, because for me, it, it's not just above the level of complexity that I'm comfortable with. It's way above my comfort level mm -hmm. in com the complexity of it. Like I would really not enjoy playing the Necromancer list because there's just too many rules and situations and combinations and tracking of you know resource like it's all of the stuff you know like i'll i'll avoid playing some models just because they have some elements of that mm -hmm. and this army is like nothing but that times five you yeah. know what i mean mm -hmm. so for me it's like I, I wouldn't go near the army just because of that reason. But, you know, that's just me. Mm -hmm. You have other people that are going to jump on this list that, you know, they may be like me and a person that's not really capable of playing that list to to the level that it should be played at, but they're mm -hmm. going to still play it anyway. Yeah. Right? And, like, you really have to know the rules, not only for yourself, but also for your opponent as well yeah i mean but but the whole the whole thing i was trying to say is it just makes me question and and be curious about like what is the play testing criteria that they put these lists through like i assume there is one like they have to play the list x number of times against x many different opponents or x number of different missions mm -hmm. uh, like surely they must have uh uh, a certain minimum that they that they play test a list for it's just like i i would you know and i don't want to sound like i'm like really being complaining about it but it's just like i don't want to see every book that come out have one sort of broken legendary legion in it mm -hmm. where like everybody freaks out about it until the next faq comes so so in one sense what i'm saying is like can we play test these things a little bit more so that's a criticism. Mm -hmm. But then on the good side, thank God they have this FAQ now. Yeah. Because, you know, it allows stuff to be corrected within six months, which is fantastic. So, mm -hmm. you know, that is awesome. Uh, on the flip side, you know, it, it's not an excuse not to play test new things. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, you should use the FAQ as, as little as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, but anyway. So I was just I was just curious if you had the same sort of reaction. Oh no, I do because it also creates an you know like you you see a list in in a book and you say to yourself oh I really want to play this list like Vanquishers to me at the moment I saw that I'm like I want to play this list because not because of its opness even though I thought it needed to be, to be toned down. I mm -hmm. wanted to play this list because it had so many cool complexities and interactions. And I'm like, yeah. it, would take you, it would take you a while to really get this list to sing. But when it does, it will be so strong. Yeah. And so that to me is what really got me to it. And I like magic in the game anyway, so this, that, this goes well with it. But to your point, I don't think they play tested enough. And saying, oh yeah, we wrote a list in two weeks uh, for this book. And I'm like... 
There are Shire players and Ruffian players who've been waiting so long for their book for you not to give it justice and then have to wait like six more years for the edition to change to have another go around. It's a slap in the face. Make the effort. Put more time into it. You know what I mean? And like, no, if it's exactly. just the two of you playtesting, maybe get more playtesters from outside of your, your, your scene. You know what I mean? And go through the task of playtesting this. Like, when I was going to start working on the Vanquishers episode, my plan was to playtest this like 30 games against a myriad number of missions and a myriad number of armies to get a feel for mm -hmm. what the... the the, the themes are to this list, the ways to beat it, the ways to not beat it, the ways, the subtleties. And if you're not doing that for playtesting, what are you doing? Playing a half dozen games and saying, yeah, it's good. I'm like, no, yeah. like, like it doesn't work that way. It, it just hit me because like, I know like last year we were doing this army challenge thing mm -hmm. and you know, you picked the Rangers of Vithilian, right? And mm -hmm. you bought like the entire army. Yep. You're like working on painting the assembly, like doing this huge project on an army. And you know, at whatever point it was at, they, they throw this nerf to the army, which in all reality, it shouldn't really affect your position on choosing that army, but mm -hmm. it is like for you, you're a competitive guy. So you're, yeah. you're building an army because you want, you want to do well in tournaments with that, mm -hmm. with that army. And so, so that, that change was something that will certainly affect that. Um, and then this time around, like I, I know people that are, um, collecting we're collecting and painting this army. And, and when that nerf happened, they're like, Oh, great. You know, I'm halfway through this army, and and now this happens, and like you said, like below 800 or whatever, it's it's not going to be all that effective anymore. Yeah. So it's it's unfortunate that like people are making the decisions on what to buy and what to paint and what to play with, and then you know they're not even done the project yet, mm. <laughs> and and the situation completely changes. Yeah, I mean. With COVID going on right now, you don't even get chances. Wrapping up, obviously, but you don't even—you didn't even get chances to play this list as it was. And it's like, give me the list as it should be, so I can make the informed decision to buy the models or not. Because as you said, like like these models aren't cheap. Like no. they're all heroes, right? So if I bought all these models, it's like, I don't know, 150 to 180 bucks or something like that. All said and done. And then all of a sudden I buy all these models, I get them all painted up, I get them all ready to go, and then you nerf the bloody list and I can't even play it below 750, 800. Really? Yeah. Like, really? Like, come on. And Actually, you, I was just thinking, I have all these models. The only model there that I don't have is, I have Radagast, but not on Slay. I have Radagast on Slay. I bought him specifically because I wanted to play this army. Yeah. And I have Elrond, I've got all the models, but now it's like... It's just, and the other thing is like <laughs> TOs, TOs aren't going to go above 800 points. They never do. See, or, you know what I mean? So they'll, they'll sit in the 650 to 750 range because they know if they go to 800, this army yeah. will be on the table and they don't want that. And yeah. so they'll purposely make sure this army never sees the light of day <laughs> as in a competitive sense. And it's, you, you shake your head at that because it's just like this, that's stupid. 
it, it'll become it'll become another smog. It's a 700 point tournament, no smog. Exactly. And then now it, it'll be it, it's like a, an 850 point tournament, no vanquishers. <laughs> or or uh, I don't think people will do that, but or, you know. or it's a it's a 799 point tournament because at 800 they get five <laughs> wizards and at 799 they get four, and it's like okay. Yeah. Shall we move on? I think so. Now we're on to our, after that very lengthy segment that we thought, oh, we'll wrap this up in 15 minutes, 15 minutes later. <laughs> now we're on to what have I got in my pocket? Uh, the show where, uh, with a segment where we ask each other a question, which has somehow become asking each other about quotes and rules, and uh, we'll see if answered on the spot. Uh, right on. Yeah. And we're not going to do... All that is gold does not glitter in this episode, just That's because correct. of we we ran long on our main topic. So. I think so, yeah. 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 So, Don, I am gonna make you go first, uh, and then what you choose, I will choose as my quote. Difficulty. Okay, uh, I'm gonna do something different when it's your turn, but I'll go first. Something different. You're not going to do the, the quotes, eh? I'm going to ask you everything I have until you get a point. That's okay. what I'm going to do. Okay, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to guess first. Is that yeah, what we're doing? Yeah, that's the idea. That's the idea. Um, well, I went medium last time. Mm -hmm. Kind of sort of got part of it, but I guess it wasn't precise enough for you no, to give me any points. So I'll go back down to easy. Easy. Okay, okay. Well, this is a... This is a lob ball. If you don't get this, I worry about you. Okay? <laughs> Here we go. I don't like the pressure. The light of Arendil. The light of Arendil. That's right. That's it. You gotta guess the name and what the special the special rule is. Um I'm guessing it's Galadriel Lady of the Light. That is correct. And this part I'll get wrong, probably. Um, the light of Arendil. 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 Um, so there's a couple things going through my mind, and I'm not sure if they're all part of the same special rule or not. Mm. So I know, I know she has a need sixes to hit with shooting within six inches. So similar effect to blinding light, and then there's she also has um, a rule that confers a negative one to courage, and is that all? I think that's all. Uh, I'm not sure if those are all part of the same special rule, and they're part of that rule. Um, or Remember, not. I'm asking you an easy one. Well. It's easy to you that you know the answer already you know like I don't I don't know the answer so I'm just trying to recall here mm -hmm. um, as he searches for his rule book I'm searching through my rule book <laughs> nah, it's take me too long to find it uh, I'll guess that it's the uh, the shooting attack thing ding 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 you are correct Woo. if okay. it's an easy one it's not gonna be a multi-part special rule 
The uh, the the negative one you're referring to is her war aspect special rule. Oh, okay. okay. She doesn't count as being unarmed, and she confers negative one. Ooh, mm-hmm. I thought for a second there I wasn't going to get the lob ball. No, no, question. no. The lob balls are lob balls, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. I guess I'm going easy. Unless you have a different um, okay. style of questions you're going to ask me. Okay, here's how this is going to work. So oh. I do not have a medium question because I didn't replenish it because I knew I was going to... I was going to ask you the easy one no matter what. Oh, okay, like, I want you to get a point. Thank you. And, you know... Well, let's just ask this. I'm sure you're going to get it right, but we'll take it. We'll take it from there. Spoilers. Okay, so this not. is a, this is a quote, and this is a lob ball. Oh my god! You know the same kind of thing. This is a lob ball. If you don't get this, <laughs> I will seriously question whether you have a seen the movies. No, no, I will not question whether you've seen the movies, but I will definitely question whether you've seen read the book. Mm. I don't read them as often as you do, but yeah, go for it. Okay. It's a long time since I saw you round here. It's lucky for you that I know you. I was just going to set my dogs on any strangers. There are some funny things going on today. Of course, we do get queer folk wandering in these parts at times. Too near the river, he said, shaking his head. But this fellow was the most outlandish I have ever set eyes on. He won't cross my land without leave a second time. Not if I can stop it. So what were the, what are the requirements of this? You just need to tell me who says that quote. So, thankfully, I've read the, la- the first, like, listen to the first 12 chapters of the 15 chapters of the Fellowship of the Ring to know that that was... Farmer Maggot speaking to uh, Frodo, Sam, and I think it was, I'm going to get the one of two of them wrong, uh, Mary? No, it was, it was um, Pippin, I think, uh, yeah. as they were walking up his lane and he was talking about a black rider. Ding, ding, ding. You get a point. Awesome. You got the easy question. Do yeah, I get another one exact- of those? It's exactly what it is. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and like I said before, mm-hmm. I have a bonus question. If you were to get a question right, mm-hmm. I would ask you the bonus question. Okay. So here's the bonus question, and if you get this right, you get a, another point. Okay. Okay? It is not a quote. Okay. okay. This, this I pulled out of White Dwarf 471, which mm-hmm. was celebrating... You know, the 20-year anniversary of the movies being released and the hobby, I guess. Mm-hmm. And in that, in, in the White Dwarf, uh, they had a series of interesting facts called Did You Know? Mm. Okay. So, um, let me see how I can ask this question now. There was an MESBG set that was released that was so popular that it outsold the Space Marine Tactical Squad and it's the only kit to have ever achieved such a feat. What is that MESBG kit? Now is it like a, like a big kit or like is it like a clam? It's just, it's just like a box of models. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Like a similar thing to the Space Marine Tactical Squad. So, you know, just like a, a box of 
figures for the game. Well, would it be like like a box of Galadrim, or would it be like the uh, ambush and Ammon Hen, like like that kind of thing? Like which? Uh, it would be like in the two examples you provided. Yeah. It would be the the box of Galadrim. Oh, I see. I see, I see. Yeah. So not one of those special, right. you know, sets that are commemorating a moment in the movie. It's just mm-hmm. like an army, an army box, like a for a, for a unit. For a unit. Yeah. A unit. And it is outsold the Space Marine Tactical Squad. Um, no. And that's that was for the year of its release. So mm. for that year, the Space Marine Tactical Squad was not their best-selling kit. Mm. And it was the only time where that was true. Mm. Now, what do you think? <laughs> Give me good or evil. Give could me good be... or evil. Um, well, I think it's... Oh, and Han here. I almost want to just say it's the Fellowship... Box. Remember, rem- uh, well, I can't give you any clues. Mm-hmm. I can't give you any clues. I almost feel like it should be the fellowship box because everybody, it's like such a known thing that everyone loved the fellowship in the, in the, in the, in the Lord of the Rings. So to see Before that- you make your guess, I'm going to give you a clue. Oh, okay. It's plastic. It's plastic. Well, fiddledy sticks. I'm stuck between the Last Alliance box and the Fellowship. I don't even think the Fellowship was it. Was the Fellowship in a box? Just a quick question. Was the Fellowship in a box? I don't think it ever was in a box mm-hmm. um, other than metal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Fellowship was for sale as a metal mm-hmm. uh, kit, but the plastic Fellowship that comes in the original Moria. The Mines of Moria. Uh, yeah. Mines of Moria. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was ever sold as a kit. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um then if that's the case, I'm going to go with the last Alliance box set that had the Elves and the Numenorians, which is plastic. Nope. Mm. Not right. Uh, okay. I'll give you another guess because it's hard, and mm. I will tell you that. So you guessed good. It is not good. Mm. And it's remember, back in the heyday, so almost everything was freaking more metal. Um, that if it was a hero, it would be metal. Uh, if it wasn't... What would it's take a struggle. It? I can it hear the struggle. I can what hear the wheels turning and the, the smoke coming out of your ears here. That's got to be the Isengard Warriors blister or the box. That is correct. I thought it would be. Everyone freaking yep. owns it. Everyone owns it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is the fighting Urukai, the sword and shield mm-hmm. and pikes. Yep. Yeah, everybody. Owns During that. the year of its release, <laughs> the Fighting Urukai set was so popular that it outsold the Space Marine Tactical Squad, the only kit to have ever achieved such a feat, and it was an MESBG kit wow. as well. My boys, the Urukai. That's right, my boys too. Everyone owns them. Yeah, yep. Right on. Good right. job. Right, we'll give you the point. Oh, two, points. two points. Two points today. On, two points. I'm, I'm, I'm two for five or two for six, I think. <laughs> <laughs> It's terrible odds. <laughs> One in three. Let's divide it so it makes it sound better. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, you've got some points. You're on the board, finally. I'm on the board. I'm on the board. <laughs> but you got a bo- you got a point, too. But you've already been on the board. Yeah, we're tied. I think we both have two now. Oh, get out of here. I'm like two for six. You're two for three, I think. <laughs> yeah, I go easy all the time. Uh, that's true. Fair point. And I just barely get them. 
<laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode, isn't it? Um, I think did so. we did we have any uh, wrap up comments? Any? Well, uh, we are going to be releasing a Vanquishers, as we said, Vanquishers episode in the future, and that's going to be focused on are Vanquishers still playable? Not are they unbeatable? Mm-hmm. So. And it was one of the reasons why I think we, I was, I have been playtesting them, and one of the reasons why you had so expertly and wisely said, "Don't the FAQ is coming out," and that's going to well, probably I, change. I, I said, I said, don't, don't put together your final thoughts mm-hmm. on it, and like, let's not do the episode or episode yet because you know, a hundred percent, it's going to be affected in a fairly big way by by the FAQ. Let's wait until after that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but now it completely changes the nature of of the uh, the episode. You know, our position on it, which is a good thing as to why I, I stopped playtesting because I'm like, if I play twenty or thirty games, I'm like, oh, it's all of this, and all of a sudden these nerfs happen. I'm like, oh, yeah, mm. and it, it's a big enough change that a lot of the playtesting would really be kind of meaningless. Mm. Yeah, it'd be moot pretty quick. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's so. what's on tap. I mean, obviously, we're continuing with our um, our yeah. uh, mission episodes. Uh, and did you have anything lined up for for? I, I've got stuff lined up. I've got I've got two outside the box things lined up Excellent. that I want to get into the get into the rotation. Mm-hmm. One of them I've actually already asked Chris if mm-hmm. he will come on and co-host with me for that one Mm -hmm. um but the second one will be will be all you it's a battle companies thing Mm. um so you will have to talk about battle companies for the first time ever i I can i can manage that i have a battle companies book thank you excellent very Mm good i have to read that and get familiar i think i can do that Uh, but yeah that's that's what i've got coming up so Looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to tournament coming up. Mm-hmm. So I hope I'm signed up to go to that in a few weeks. Uh, yeah, stuff is happening now. Oh, excellent, excellent. Alrighty, sir. I think that's that sums it all up for us. It does. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody, for joining us on another episode here of North of the Shire. Take care, and we will see you on the next one. I'm giving you guns for guns. I know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. (laughs) Just give me a second.